Welcome to the Unapologetic Truths Podcast. We're your hosts, Armani Talks and Life Math Money, back for episode 25. If you're listening from YouTube, go on and drop that like on your way in. Each like helps us out tremendously. And hit subscribe. Uh, this is a new channel. We're going to be posting a future uh, content on uh, this channel uh, from the full episodes all the way to tiny little clips. Uh, hit subscribe. And if you're listening from your podcast provider of choice, be sure to leave a review at your convenience. And without further ado, let's get started. What's up, Harsh? I'm doing well, Arman. How are you doing? Are you feeling better? I mean, you've been uh, uh, recuperating recently. Yeah, so I caught everyone's favorite virus, COVID, right? Two weeks ago. So the first week of it was actually really bad. I had a fever and a a very strong cough for the entire week and I couldn't do anything whatsoever except just stay in my room. But now, the second week, I am much better. I can go out. And the only thing I can't do is exert myself because I'm getting really tired really fast. So I tried going to the gym and... I did some sets of squats with the empty bar and I was just so exhausted after like squatting the empty bar that I had to come home. So yeah, I can't exercise or exert myself a lot right now, but I'm much better than I was two weeks ago. It's a little head fucky because everyone I meet tells me that COVID is like a small cold or nothing like nothing significant, but it hit me really hard. Like I was very surprised. I thought it would be like a bullshit disease, uh, like like a sniffle, you know, like it'll go away in a day. Right. But it stayed around for like two weeks and it's still not gone. Like I'm still a little exhausted and tired. Okay. I have a couple of questions about that. One, when did you have that inkling that you caught COVID? Or there are certain symptoms that you were aware of and you're like, okay, something definitely doesn't feel right. So on the 16th, I was completely fine. I had no symptoms whatsoever. On the 17th, I had a fever and I had a cough and I knew I had COVID. So it was like a flip of a switch, like poof. And you go from 100 to zero. Did you throw up? No, I did not. Did you lose uh, a taste? That's what I've been hearing from some people that got it. I didn't lose taste, but I did have one day where everything tasted a bit metallic. I don't know how to describe it, but water tasted metallic. Everything was slightly bad in taste, but that was just a day. And then it was, my taste is back to normal. Okay. Well, it's good to have you back. I mean, it's one of those things, Harsh, when you're sick, it makes you realize how important health is uh, because you can't do anything. And in some ways, I mean, it makes you feel miserable, especially if you're someone who's normally a high performer. Uh, You're not probably used to being in your room and just locked up uh, trying to recuperate. Exactly, exactly. You take it for granted, you know, when you have good health, you don't care about it. But when you don't, it's all you want. Right, because when we were trying to coordinate the right time for it, and you, you mentioned you were feeling under the weather, honestly, man, at that point, I had to just take a pause real quick. And I was like, you know, I haven't gotten sick in so long. And the last time I remember getting sick was so freaking long ago. And I just have to be grateful for it because I'm like, 
this is awesome. Like I, I've been over a year plus not uh, getting sick. I, I've been in commission and it just made me appreciate it. So those of you guys who are listening to it, you never know how important good health is until it's temporarily snatched away and it makes you appreciate it some more. There now, is saying in Hindi, which is a bit like, it goes like this, okay? Ghar ki murki dal barabar, which means that um, the chicken that you own is as good as like dal or lentil to you, where mm-hmm. it's like you have your good health with you most of the time, right? Most of the time you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So you stop appreciating it. You, you take it for granted. For you, it, it's like something that is supposed to be there all the time and there's nothing good about it. It's just there. But then it's taken away and suddenly you feel the loss. Man, speaking of that, like recently uh, my AC broke and I didn't n- notice it. it. It was basically still blowing the air, but it was not cool air. And since I'm in the facility uh, a lot, um, I didn't even notice it. But after some time, you know, I put my hand above the vent and I felt hot air blowing out. And it just made me um, like, you know, I started to call the guy whoever fixed the ACs. Uh, he came and he did some stuff and it should be like, you know, running smoothly shortly. But that's when I was like, you know, I never even knew how important AC was until it was temporarily snatched away from me. And if you're living in a place where there's no AC, I mean, there's like small little problems that sneak up with your skin. Like you may be feeling itchy. You may be feeling lethargic. You don't know why you're getting dehydrated quicker. And um, it's a little remix to my story uh, versus what you've been going through. Uh, My one is not as dramatic as yours. But yeah, I mean, um, it's a look into gratitude. I agree with this, especially your conclusion about gratitude, mm-hmm. where you kind of forget these things are important and then you lose it and then you're like, oh, my life was so good back then. Mm-hmm. Like if you take COVID, okay, before COVID, I never thought that being able to go out was such a premium that I loved so much. But during COVID, when we were under lockdown, I used to think, okay, so my life was so amazing back then. I could go out whenever I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to wear the stupid diaper on my face and bullshit like that. So, <laughs> yeah. So before COVID, like before COVID in the sense, like before 2020, I didn't even think about this. Like I didn't even think it was a privilege. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, suddenly it was so important and I loved it so much. And you know what I mean? It's like I was not gratitude is what's the word for it. I didn't have any gratitude for it before. But then when it was taken away, then suddenly I'm like, oh, that was amazing. I want that back. Yeah, I actually wrote a tweet recently uh, where I was just saying that the predecessor to gratitude is knowledge, where the more knowledge that you have in certain things, I think eventually you start to have that understanding of, man, things are so complex. How does anything work? And once you see that it does work, then it allows for some gratitude. Where, I mean, there were opportunities for me to be grateful this entire time with the whole AC thing, but I just wasn't aware. There was no knowledge behind the intricacies of AC, uh, how long a battery life lasts and everything. So I just took it for granted. Uh, But once I became aware, that's what set the uh, stepping stone for gratitude. And Harsh, so I had this like uh, former coworker. Uh, who hit me mm-hmm. up recently we were catching up 
And unfortunately, he got a divorce. And Ouch. Yeah, and he was explaining the whole divorce process to me, like the legal side of it. And then mm-hmm. he started to explain the uh, mental and the spiritual side of it. And he's like, you know, Armani, I'm not going to even sugarcoat this. I'm the one who um, messed this one up. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I started to, you know, take my wife for granted. And I I was like, you know, so focused on like my career, my business and stuff that I wasn't really showing her much attention and stuff recently. And she left me. And nowadays there's all the stuff that I'm relearning. Like nowadays I have to do my own laundry. I, I do the cooking and these were stuff that she was doing this entire time, but I wasn't aware of, and I wasn't able to appreciate her because I wasn't aware of it. And he was just breaking down the divorce process to me. And he's very, uh, he's depressed and he's like miserable right now. Uh, But I think it somehow connects to what we're saying. It's like, you have to first be aware of what you need to be grateful for. What do you recommend for people in those type of scenarios where they should be appreciative, but they actually have no clue what the person that is um, doing so much for them is doing in the first place? Like this guy did not know how intricate cooking a meal was uh, three times a day for like your uh, significant other. Uh, What do you recommend? Like what's an advice you would give to this guy for him to get back on his feet? If you can, I would say the advice is try to live a day in their shoes. Well, if you switch roles for like a day, then you will see how much work or if a lot of work goes into the other person's work or not. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yeah, switch a day. Like I'll do your stuff, you do mine. And then we'll find out or, you know, we'll, we'll learn what we each other do. And I believe I think that will also be good for even social cohesion, you could say. Mm-hmm. Because in today's world, we rely on so many people for so many things that we don't know about. For example, if you take electricity, someone out there is producing electricity and sending it to us. If we didn't have that guy, we wouldn't have electricity. <laughs> so we have no idea who's doing it or how he's doing it or how much work is going in it. But we have it. Yeah. So we can't switch places with the electricity guy. We can't switch places with the guy who, say, protects us from a nuclear power plant exploding and things like that. But with things like a spouse, you can definitely exchange places for a day and actually learn what goes into their life. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, th- there's a different moments that are very depressing for a man. And I forgot who posted it. Someone said that death of um, a family member, the death of a pet, and getting a divorce. Like these are very uh, tough times for men, and that's when they need to navigate their own emotions in order to come out of it stronger. But this isn't probably something that you're too like familiar with, right? Because the divorce rates in India are very low. Like, do you have friends and relatives? going through divorces, asking for your feedback? I do not. I only know one divorce couple. I mean, I do know more people who are divorced, but I didn't like, I had, I was not aware of their divorce. Like they were divorced when I was a kid or something. 
and it is not common at all in india it isn't divorce is like one or two percent maybe at best is there so like a stigma is, associated with it there is there is especially for women where like if you're a divorced woman your chances of getting married again to a great guy are close to zero or it's going to be like a much older man who who you know like who might be like 10 15 years older than you so yeah there is a stigma attached which is fair enough you know any good society any functioning society would have a stigma attached to divorce so divorce is rare it isn't like anywhere nearly as common as as it is in the west like in the west it's crazy i was looking at the statistics for the west and if you like do you know that black people in black people in the west 80% of them are born out of wedlock after 2014 80% of black kids are like their parents are not married anymore or never got married god i didn't know about that number that's so 80% uh, it is insane that's four out of five and for white people it's like 40% or something that is so crazy like for my indian mind 2% is too high <laughs> 2% and, is too high it's too high it's insanely high 2% means one in every 50 couples and 80% i never knew about that where did you find the This research is, let me actually tell you the exact statistic from where i got it from let me find it just a sec mm-hmm. so i got a guest post about it also on by ed latimore if you've heard of him mm-hmm. the guest post is on Let me let me try to remember the topic. It's been like a year and a half or something. How to build yourself up from a broken home. I'll put the link in the description, yeah. Okay. Trying to find the article. That is one thing that uh, another thing that you know, you could be grateful for if you're coming from a household where, you know, it was united from the very beginning because I did hear a psychologist one time talking about the mental effects that it could have on the kids if the parents not only divorced but divorced in a very acrimonious sort of way where they're you know um they're making it very volatile of a living facility like it has long lasting impacts on the kid so man the worst to... victim is the kid like the real yeah. victim of a divorce is the children mm-hmm. okay so the statistics are from CDC National Center for Health Statistics 2014 and i'm looking at like so percentage of births to unwed mothers okay so for black people it is sorry it isn't 80% it is 70% for native american it is 60% ha huh, 65% sorry for latino it is 54% for mm, national average is 40% for white people it is 30% for asians it is 15% so yeah it is insane like for black people it's the worst it's like 70% and native american is 65% which is so insanely high like if you ask me even the 15% is too high <laughs> i think like maybe 0.1% is a fair rate you could say 1 in 1000 Mm-hmm. but these are insane numbers to me that's crazy like this is like flipping this is like worse than a flip of a coin you know like you have a 70% chance of it not working right but i suppose these aren't exactly divorce rates right these are non-marital birth rates now is there the percentage of births to unwed mothers 
which could be intentional like to claim like child support or whatever you know mm-hmm. so i don't know how much this has been gamified or how accurate the statistic is from a holistic perspective so it could be let's say a guy and a girl like they're not married or anything they're fooling around and one day there's an accidental pregnancy is that incorporated in the statistic so this is the statistics of the percentage of births to unwed mother unwed mothers so yeah that is incorporated okay if the mother is unmarried at the time she had a baby mhm so 70% of black women are not married when they have babies now i don't know whether that is because of divorce or it could also be because of accidental pregnancies it could be to claim state benefits for free which is a smart thing to do if you ask me mm-hmm. because screw the state <laughs> bleed the beast you know <laughs> well what i have been hearing harsh is that in our generation a lot of people are like technically doing everything that makes them married but they're just not signing the documents that gets the government involved have you been hearing about yeah. that um it's called like a private marriage right yeah that yep yeah it's not it's it's not a thing in india it's not a thing in india do governments get very involved in a marriage in india like if things do goes out it becomes hell for the guy and even for the girl you could say but financially it's not good for the guy mhm because is, men almost never get custody of the kid and you right. have to end up paying for the woman like you get you got to pay like a third of your income or whatever the court decides and you got to keep sending the woman the check the whole country and you'll of course go to jail for a while because she's going to accuse you of wild shit have have you do you know anyone that's been through something like that not personally but i know of people yeah but that is only because i know i have a couple of friends who are lawyers who are in the space Mhm. Have you ever heard of the concept called eloping? Oh, I have heard of it. Yes, it means running away. I'm yeah, getting married. Well, so I I'm just googling the uh, definition right now. Uh it's it's defined as run away secretly in order to get married, especially without par- parental consent. And if you have ever been to Las Vegas, uh, this is like they've created a business model regarding this. Like a lot of like you know about Vegas right like the magic yes. shows the gambling know, know, all of that and it's like all geared where like if you hypothetically do want to get married at the you know the end of the trip you can do it and it's very easy to elope hypothetically in Vegas so that's probably not a concept that you're too familiar with is it i am familiar with the concept because in india your parents approval before marriage means a lot and sometimes when people don't get it they'll run away and get married anyway <laughs> but i'm not aware of this las vegas thing tell me more how does it work well, las so you vegas, go to las vegas you party and then you get married yeah and sometimes it'll be with someone that you met in the trip so there's this famous mantra which is titled like what what happens in vegas stays in vegas and typically people go to vegas for occasions it, it could be to celebrate um your company going public it could be uh, for a friend's marriage something like that and whenever there's an occasion you know people are over here partying and stuff and at the end of the night i mean they may meet someone they're like talking up a storm they're like you know what i i, I think you're my soulmate uh let's go get married and you could literally go down the street and go to one of these open places where you could get married 
And it's like a line of people that are all trying to elope. So it's like for people that, um, and there are stories, Harsh, where someone met their spouse that night, got married in Vegas that night, and the marriage ended up lasting for 30 plus years. So there's some that is stories. insane. Yeah. Are these people drunk or what is wrong with them? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them do it because they're drunk. And I had this coworker in my last company. Wait, so they let them sign the contract when they're drunk? Isn't that like out of the state of the mind where like in India, if you're drunk, you can't actually, your contract is not valid because you are not in the right state of mind. They may have some precautions afterwards. I haven't heard of too much like of the legalities, but I do know it's possible. And, you know, I had this coworker in my last job that, you know, one time we're talking outside of lunch and he's telling me, he's like, this is going to be my 60th anniversary with my wife. I said, awesome. How'd you guys meet? He's like, literally, we met uh, at a mall. I asked her um, to go on a date. The date went well. And we married that day. So this guy has been <laughs> in a 60-year um, marriage. And he only knew his wife for one day when he asked her to um, be his wife. See, that is incredibly stupid, isn't it? It's incredibly stupid, but like it worked for the guy. I mean, they're in a happy marriage, and uh, I mean, they don't get into too much fights. Like, I mean, what's your opinion? It doesn't mean the decision wasn't stupid. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like buying a lottery ticket and winning, except you know, the chances of winning are higher than like almost zero percent, of course, but the act of doing it was still stupid, regardless of the outcome. Yeah. See, that's one thing people don't understand, okay? Where the people conflate outcomes with the decision. For example, if I give you two choices, okay? I give you one choice, you have the chance to win a million dollars, but the chance is like 1%. Mm -hmm. Or you have the chance to win $500,000, but the chance is 50%. Which one would you pick? Okay, so for the million dollars, is that 1% chance? Yeah, for a million dollars, it's 1%. And for the $500,000, it's a what chance? 50%. Uh, the 50%. Yeah, exactly. But now imagine this. You picked the one with the 50% and then you lose. You get nothing. And someone else, you know, picks the million dollars and they get the million dollars. So 1%, like, they're the lucky one. Then they start bragging and all that stuff. But was their decision smart? And who, who made the smarter choice? But regardless of the outcome, the smarter choice was you because the expected value of your decision was 250,000, that is 50% of 100K, mm -hmm. versus for theirs, it was just $10,000, like 1% of a million. So their decision was garbage, like it was very unwise, unwise to pick this. But just because they won, they feel like, okay, I was a smart one, I picked the right decision, but really they didn't. Yeah. They were stupid, well, but it I worked. <laughs> I will preface it with this. The guy said to me once we we're done with the interaction, by the way, uh, I don't recommend you do the same thing uh, because what you're describing, Harsh, is, or what I'm describing with this guy is a game of Russian roulette. Do you know that game? Yeah, I am aware of it. Yeah, and it's like, it's like let's say it's, a, for the most part, an empty chamber of uh, a gun, but there's one bullet in there. And you get to pull the trigger on your head. Um, and there's, let's say, nine chances that you're right. 
but one of the trigger pulls can take your life. But let's say, let, let's you know, even add the stakes some more. Would you play this game of Russian roulette? Uh, just two pulls of the trigger for a chance to win fifty billion dollars. Fifty billion? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it for money. Like there are things I would play the game for, but money is not one of them. Okay, what's a what's an incentive that you'll be happy with? So I'm. A, I think Russian roulette is one sixth the chance of death, right? The what? One sixth what? would be the chance of death. Yeah, we, we could play around with those numbers. So one by six. I don't know. See, this is one of those questions where it's hard to answer unless a legitimate offer is presented. Mm-hmm. Like where a legitimate offer is presented, then I might agree to something. But I know it's not out of the question for me. Like I would play the game for some reward, but I can tell you the reward isn't money. The reward could be some kind of cultural change I want to see in the world or the establishment of some institution that I want to see uh, or things of that sort. But I wouldn't do it for money. I would do it for some other thing, but I'm not against the game. Like I would play it for some reward. I can, I can tell you that much. Okay. But to know what reward I would play it for, a legitimate offer needs to be presented. It's a lot like, you know, will you cheat on a girl you like or not? Well, you can't, you don't know that until you get a legitimate <laughs> offer <laughs> and then you find out. <laughs> Okay, so you're open to some sort of these risks if the turnout could be very monumental. Yes. And I think it was with, like that with my coworker, man, where he's just like, well, let's take the risk. Um, and, you know, his thing, like the win, where you're saying you wouldn't play for money, for him, like he would play for love. So in his context, um, you know, he plays some Russian roulette, Harsh. And he, he um, got one of the empty chambers in a good way. Yeah, I would say that in his case, the Russian roulette was more like five bullets in the gun and only one empty space. <laughs> <laughs> and he got the right one. <laughs> but yeah, this is like playing Russian roulette for something like $10, you know? Like, why would you do that? For $10. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a lot of these stories, man. I mean, of very strange occurrences of how someone met their uh, significant other. But I would say that was one of the strangest. Like you meet someone that day and you get married that day. Um, Insane. Um, So how big is arranged marriages uh, in the... India, uh, like, is that still a thing or is it more outdated? How, how's the philosophy with that? I would say about 90% of marriages are arranged marriages, like maybe more, 95, 96%. Really? I wasn't yes, expecting in, a number that high. Yeah. So in cities, for example, it is a bit like 20% are not arranged marriages. Like love marriages are more common in cities mm-hmm. because it's more open culture. But if you go to interiors of India, Almost every marriage is an arranged marriage. Wow. Like in my family, there's only one person who didn't get arranged marriage. And I can like give you 50 exotic in my, you know, my entire extended family. Mm-hmm. There's only one couple who didn't get arranged marriage, who got a love marriage and they got divorced. Ooh. And incidentally, that's the only divorce in my family. I think that kind of stuff happens. Like, what why do you, do you mean? Think, what do you think? Why do you think like, arranged marriages typically have a lower divorce rate than love marriages. Would you say it's because the family is invested as well? 
There are two reasons. One, you tend to see when you get an arranged marriage, you think of it as a business decision, right? Mm-hmm. You think for factors outside the woman too, like her culture, how her family is, how she was raised, and you know, and things like cooking skills and everything too, up to you. But there are also broader factors, like you already discussed how you want to live, and you expect things not to be perfect. But mm. with a love marriage where you like the girl, once you are once you get feelings for someone, you tend to discount their flaws. You tend to overlook potential deal breakers. And just because you overlook something doesn't mean it's gone. And when you're living together, they all show up. You know, once mm. like love is like just an emotion, right? And at some point it starts fading away. The romance kind of like goes away, and then you're left with what's real. Mm-hmm. And in love marriages, sometimes, and this is from what I understand, that the love eventually dilutes a bit, and then you're left with someone you don't consider compatible, or your expectations are so high, or her expectations are so high, that even though everything is fine, it doesn't feel fine because you want something better. And I think that's kind of the reason why a lot of love marriages break away. Like an arranged marriage, you don't love the girl when you marry her. Like you build your love over time, and it's like it is a more lasting thing because you don't expect perfection, you don't expect things to be well. You know the other person is somewhat of a stranger, and -hmm. you have to adjust. Versus the love marriage, you expect things to be a fairy tale. Interesting breakdown. When are you going to have life math money relationship advice <laughs> added into your blog or something? Soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very um, good breakdown because with love, I mean, I'm trying to find a good analogy. Would you say it's a very similar analogy to what you're talking about with business? You know how some people, they'll start a business uh, honestly built through uh, love. Like Vince McMahon is a good guy. Like his dad, um, like engulfed him with world wrestling entertainment his entire life. So Vince loved it. And from there, he developed that killer work ethic versus someone who, you know, started a boring business. He didn't enjoy anything about it. Uh, Let's say a steel company. It's a very like mundane thing that he has no affinity for. But over time, he worked on it. He grew it. He started to make money. And once he started to make money, uh, now he started to fall in love with the business. Would you say that's a similar analogy with what you're saying with love marriage versus arranged marriage? I will not say that. I will say a better analogy would be something like picking a business partner. Okay, Let's say you had two options, Arman. One option is you can, you know, you have a business and then you're thinking through who might, who the best partner would be for this business. Who would be the best co-founder for Arman Incorporated? And who will provide the best skills or who has the best synergies with you? Or you can pick your nephew. Mm-hmm. Which option is better? Explain my nephew. Does my nephew have any skills or is it just because um, he's my nephew? He's a nephew. You like him. You want to help him. No, no, no. I'm probably going to pick the guy with better skills. It's somewhat like that. With love marriage, You, it's like your nephew. You know, You love them. You like them. 
and you don't care about their flaws as much because you feel like they're going to get better over time and you know things can be improved and skills can be acquired i like this person whatever mm-hmm. versus the arranged marriage is more like being more rational picking the right person trying to find the right you know match mhm and trying to find the right compatibility so yeah i i would say that would be a better analogy and like you said a business with someone you vetted would work better than a business with your nephew yeah i think for the most part uh, unless like you're trying to make this a family business oftentimes starting a business with a family member or a super super close friend it's not always the best uh, because there's certain times when uh things become too informal and every now and then you need a little bit of formality in place so people understand at uh, the higher mission of the business but let's say it's a super close friend it's like mm, the guy wants to work sometimes doesn't want to work the other times that's a problem but it's like how can i constructively criticize the person without the friendship deteriorating so i'm not normally um someone that's over here trying to build too much um uh, businesses with friends um what's your state on that like do you build any of your side businesses with your friends or do you normally keep it friends or friends do you remember our discussion on a rockefeller quote do you remember the quote i remember the fundamental essence of it where you're like uh the friendship built on business is better than a business built on friendship exactly mhm so that is my take on it a friendship based on business is better than a business based on friendship mhm okay. because if friendships are deteriorate your business keeps your friendship together yeah this is this is a good analogy with the the marriage thing that you were are bringing up have you ever been at the end of the day a marriage is a relationship that is supposed to yield some things for one party and some other things for the other party mm-hmm. and uh, yeah a love marriage that doesn't understand that is less likely to succeed i'm It's glad not- we're bringing this up because the concept of arranged marriage like in the us in the west people are aware of it but it's not too common in practice so it's good that we're breaking down the angles of it it would be impossible to have it in the west mm-hmm. simply because the variability in the west is so high and you could say that to a large extent even in modern india it's breaking down right mm-hmm. fewer people every year are getting arranged marriage like as a percentage so the reason is that the variability is increasing and society and culture are breaking down you could say like earlier like you could get married in a day like you could meet your wife arrange marriage and get married the next day or like in a week mm-hmm. but now that's not possible because earlier you could trust her you could trust that she was a virgin she came from like you knew the family she would have household skills she understands her roles she would have to play as a wife and you understand your roles that you're making enough money to pay for everything and things like that mm-hmm. that's not possible today like today you meet someone and next day you can't get married to them because you just don't know anything about them they could be completely crazy they could be a feminist they could be a terrorist you know you don't know that mm-hmm. so i would say variability is so high because exposure is so high right now that yeah. the system of arranged marriage has to break down because you have to know your partner a bit more to get married to them you can't rely on society and culture anymore to give you a good partner 
or to guarantee a good or high probability of the partner being you know in good spirit okay i could see that because what you're trying to say is the more variables that are introduced the less likelihood of people attaining arranged marriages or an arranged marriage being successful it increases the risk for example like if you go back 30 years in india like say when my father got married in whatever year it was i don't remember what would it be like like you meet a girl and you could be 99% sure this girl is going to be well she knows her roles in marriage she knows that she's going to have to cook and take care of the house you you would know your roles in marriage that is you're going to have to provide money for the house go mm. out and work you would know, you would like be fairly confident that the girl is a virgin she's never like fuck around too much or you know and you you could be fairly confident of her culture because you know her family you know her upbringing because you know the family and you knew how educated or how little educated she was and you knew you could like because society was stabler you could be fairly certain this girl would be of a certain type of of a certain way of thinking and would be brought up to behave in a certain way and the same applies to guys like the girl could know okay so this guy is not going to abuse me he's not going to beat me up he's not going to drink because he's from xyz culture but now all of those things are no longer present where if you get married in a day to someone they might turn out to be say a raging alcoholic or a drug addict you might find that out too late or they might have like a crazy ass temper mm-hmm. so i would say the variability in people have increased because the degrees of freedom have increased and that makes arranged marriages less you would say more risky or less safe because you just don't know what you might be getting into like the risk is too high would you also say like there needs to be a baked in level of stigma for divorces for arranged marriages to work because i'm sure even back in the days harsh uh, there were people that were getting arranged marriages and let's say one guy uh, like you know everything else is about him is good but one thing is you know he has a drinking problem um and he whenever he gets drunk let's say he hits the woman maybe that's something that existed like even 30 to 40 years ago but the person did not uh, they didn't break up because there was a baked in level of stigma in society do you think that that baked in level of stigma negative stigma for divorce needs to be baked in for arranged marriages to work out because nowadays like if something is not working out you could divorce really quickly uh so that's another reason i don't see the arranged marriage thing working out because it's too easy to divorce but what does that have to do with arranged marriage or love marriage that has to do with marriage in general right exactly and and that's what i'm trying to say like do you see arranged marriages working out if uh you know divorce is more normalized yeah i would see it working out quite well even if divorce was quite normalized i will say that if divorce is normalized it by definition kind of shows that marriages itself like in general are not working out because mm-hmm. divorce becomes generalized when it's a common thing and if it's a common thing that means a large percentage of marriages are ending in divorce which means the entire system or the institution itself is failing Mhm. You know what I mean? It is like if the divorce rate is high, that means divorce is normalized. Because if it wasn't normalized, then it wouldn't be high. Right. 
Interesting. So it is a bit of a, it's like crossing the chasm in a way where it being a stigmatizing factor keeps it from being normalized. But once, as the rate of divorce increases, the, the factor of stigma goes away, which makes divorce even more of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like crossing the chasm. It's like going from like, Logarithmic growth to exponential growth. <laughs> Only you would bring some math connections into <laughs> relationships. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call Just you life me, math money. Life math money. Just give me one note, Arman. I'll be back. Okay. So I'm on Twitter right now, and I just found out that R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison. Dang, that's crazy. See, that's the, one of the things with these episodes. Um, the fact that it's live, that when we're recording it, there's no script or anything, it allows us to see stuff like this happening, and then we could break it down. So once Harsh gets back, I'll uh, ask him about his thoughts uh, on something like this. But as he is coming back, um, I actually met R. Kelly in 2015. And this is when my company uh, booked me a hotel in the Trump Hotel as I was getting trained in Chicago. And I was one time working, walking back from work. And I know I'm about to enter the Trump Hotel. And I see this guy. Uh, he's smoking a cigar. And he's with this blonde-haired chick. I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, he looks familiar. I can't quite put my finger on who he is. But he looks familiar. And as I'm walking closer to the entrance, uh, I still see him smoking the cigar. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's R. Kelly. I'm pretty sure. Uh, otherwise, I'm going crazy. And as I'm looking at this guy, uh, I think I'm being stealth. But he sees me looking at him. Uh, yeah, I'm just breaking down um, a story about when I met R. Kelly. Uh, let me just finish Tell the story. Me. And then I'll... Okay, let me just start yeah. over since I... Um, since you just get, came back. So basically, Harsh, I was um, bringing up how R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison. And R. Kelly uh, was this very famous singer in the 1990s, 2000s, even 2010s. Uh, you ever heard the song, I Believe I Can Fly? Ignition. Um, have you heard of them? I mean, like, I believe I can fly. I'm on six, seven, eight, cloud nine. Something like that, yeah. Okay. I think he sang it, but he has a lot of iconic songs. So him getting sentenced to 30 years in prison for, I don't know what it was for. I think it's for like child trafficking or something. Um, oh man, he didn't get suicided yet? Not yet. Um, not yet. And, and what happened what was, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was breaking down in 2016 how I met R. Kelly. Uh, or 2015, I met R. Kelly. Um, my company booked me a hotel at the uh, Trump Hotel. So I'm basically coming back from work uh, after a long day. And I see this guy smoking a cigar with his blonde-haired chick. And, you know, I'm thinking, who is this guy? He, he looks familiar. And as I'm trying to assess who it is, I, I finally make the realization it's R. Kelly. And that's when he notices me looking at him. And he just like, what's good, homie? And I was like, are you R. Kelly? And he nods his head. So I ask him for a picture. Um, and the girl that was with him took the picture, right? We talk a little bit. I was just like, how have you been relevant in music for so long? 
I wasn't too aware of his negative past or anything like that. I pretty much knew him for music. And he gave me a lot of like advice on how to be a musician. And I thought it was very interesting. And I saw two Ferraris in front of him. And I was like, I'm assuming one of the Ferraris is yours. Who does the other Ferrari belong to? And he's like, oh, uh, that's Usher's Ferrari. And Usher is another uh, like singer. So I go um, back to my hotel. And I I'm doing some research on R. Kelly. Right, Harsh? Mm -hmm. he he's 49 at that time. And apparently he was getting a lot of turmoil because he was dating this 19-year-old girl. Um, it, it was a 30-year age gap. I mean, technically it's legal, but there was a 30-year age gap. And there were all these articles that were like speculating that he's dating this girl. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. That was the girl who literally just took the picture of me and R. Kelly. <laughs> and it, it, it was hilarious. So that was my last um, memory of meeting R. Kelly in Chicago outside of the Trump Hotel. And now it's like he's getting sentenced to 30 years in prison. What did he do exactly? I don't know, man. I mean, saying he... Okay, hold on. Breaking breaking news. R&B singer R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for using his superstardom to subject young fans, some children, to systematic sexual abuse. Define children because are they talking about 17-year-olds or are they talking about 7-year-olds? I'm not too sure. I mean, it just writes children in the headline. See, I don't trust journalists, okay? Like a journalist just to spice up his article, he's going to write a 17-year-old to be children. Mm -hmm. I don't know this guy. I've never heard of him. I just like came across him for the first time. But I can tell you that if the news wants to malign someone, they're going to like produce all these word-related tricks where a 17-year-old will become children. And in your mind, it's going to be like a five-year-old. So I don't know. It mm -hmm. could actually be five-year-olds. I don't know the guy, but <laughs> I would need to know a bit more in detail because 30 years sounds insane. I mean... 30 years I, is like prison till death. I mean, that's that's shocking because he was... I mean, he was uh, like um, very... Um, I'm trying to put the right words. Like He was an iconic singer. So to see something like this, that means it must have been like very serious crimes or what he's being uh, what he's being sentenced for that's the thing right Herman? where just because someone is good at singing or dancing or acting doesn't really change them as a person they could mm -hmm. be doing whatever they're doing and also be good at singing oh yeah so man, if you're I like mean, a terrorist like that guy could be a great singer but doesn't mean like he's a not a terrorist and everything yeah i mean there was this book by um what's his name tim grover i believe the book is called relentless and he was talking about how he coached a lot of the iconic athletes and he talked about uh, uh the thing called the dark side and he says when you're great at something like there's this dark side of energy that you have and other people may not be aware of it and sometimes they are made aware of it but it's that darkness that allows a lot of these great people to ascend but it's also the same darkness that, you know, eventually destructs their career. It's a very fascinating read. Uh, it's by Tim Grover. I'm pretty sure it's called Relentless. We will put it in the description. Interesting.
yeah, it's called Relentless from Good to Great to Unstoppable by Tim Grover. And he's a, he's a trainer, a sports trainer. So he's trained a lot of iconic athletes and allowed them to use that um, uh, dark energy. He, he calls it, you know, taking a bus ride to hell. And um, is this the guy who wrote the score takes care of itself. Um, no, I mean, from no, no, oh no, that is Bill Walsh. Okay, cool. Bill Walsh, yeah, it sounded something like similar, so I thought it would be him. Yeah, so I mean, when you see a lot of these like great iconic people, uh, a lot of the times, like you know, something like what happened with R. Kelly happens, like he's this amazing singer. And then he has this dark side to him as well. They actually made a documentary on him. I, I believe it's called Surviving R. Kelly or something. Yeah, Surviving R. Kelly. Man, speaking of, you know, sexual abuse, did you... Isn't it interesting how Jeffrey Epstein got suicided and then no one ever knows, you know, who exactly was his client? Yeah, like you had all these rich people who were apparently going to Epstein's island and getting the creeping kids, but we still don't know who they were. It's like the woman is going to be prosecuted for a crime that he, we don't even know who was like actually buying the service. And so I feel like something shady is going to happen to her soon too. Want to take bets, like if she's going to get suicided or not? <laughs> I mean, I mean. I'm pretty sure something dark is going to happen to her. I, I'm not wishing upon it, but I mean, there are, she has a lot of intel to a lot of powerful people, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Probably. I don't know. I'm telling you, I love the word suicide. You know, it's like death by suicide, but the suicide was committed <laughs> by someone else. <laughs> Man, this this well, political world. Suicide. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard of Kellyanne Conway? I have not. Uh, she was the campaign manager for Donald Trump, and she was mm -hmm. the first ever campaign manager for a Republican uh, winning the presidential election. And she wrote a memoir recently called Here's the Deal. And it's a really great book where she talks about her ascension uh, from you know Jersey all the way to being in the White House. And she breaks down politics where it's a inner circle of people that you got to get buddy-buddied up with um, because sometimes Harsh, I still wonder how the hell is CNN still in business? I mean, who watches <laughs> <laughs> who the hell sits down and watches CNN? But when you read the book, you'll see that there's like a group of people in Washington who get a lot of their information from CNN. Uh, that's like their target market. And every now and then, people outside of Washington uh, build um, that curiosity regarding uh, like the politics. Um, but that's why there's such a huge uh, disconnect between what CNN speaks about and what the typical American is going through. It's because if you really break it down, uh, the typical American is not a CNN's target audience. It's the people in Washington. And as you're reading the book, you'll just see like a lot of these games that uh, people need to play in order to ascend in politics. And it's it's like it's very difficult to be a pure person, a creative mind filled with great ideas and play that game. Cause it's like, it's one of those archaic games where, you know, if you've been around for a long time, then you rise. Uh, if you're a young talent, you need to wait your turn. I mean, that's why Donald Trump 
really shook everything up. Uh, it's a great book. You should definitely read it. What's the name again? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me write that down one second. I'm not I'm not like someone who like spends a lot of time um obsessing over politics. I'll stay updated, uh, but I'm not going to like let a political scandal make me lose sleep or anything like that. And reading this book and just seeing it uh, politics from a different angle is pretty unique. Um it allowed me to um appreciate uh, that game that they're playing. Although I don't agree with it, I do understand that there's certain rules that they operate with and why a lot of people act the way that they do, especially in mainstream media. Interesting. You, you bring up something very important. How is CNN still in business? <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, they, they tried something like CNN Prime, right? Which kind of failed miserably. CNN and they spent Plus. like a couple <laughs> billion, yeah? CNN <laughs> Plus. Yeah. Let me give you a similar story in India. There's a very popular, very left, leftist news channel in India. I will not name it, but it starts with N, so it should be easy to figure out. And this mm. channel, like you know, in India, if you're a company, you're a public company or whatever, you can download the financials online. It's like it's like public document. So if you actually see the financials for this news channel, you'll realize that they're they've been making a loss for years. Okay, they don't make any profits, but somehow, despite them constantly losing money. One, their employees are still getting promotions. Two, they're still in business. And three, it looks like everything is normal with them. Like it's it's almost like they're a profitable company despite them officially losing money all the time. And the reason why this is happening is because for the simple reason that they're making money under under the table, probably. Like I don't know. That's why I'm not naming them. I don't want you like, you know, libel them for no reason. But mm-hmm. They're probably making money under the table to pay for things. Because as a new channel, you have so much influence, right? You have so much influence over people's minds. So you can take money from political parties, whatever, and like say run negative stories about your opponents, run positive stories about you or your products or whatever, and use these guys as essentially this is like paying these guys under the table is like advertising in a way. Right. Or like public manipulation costs, you could say. Mm-hmm. so these guys they don't make a lot of official money but they do make a lot of unofficial money in a sense they're like Forbes you know you like you, you can buy your way into a Forbes list by paying a Forbes journalist so even the Forbes itself didn't make the money but someone did right but here the guy who owns it probably is making the money illegally and then distributing it among his journalists and cash or whatever because the company is losing money every single year, but the guys are getting promoted. They're getting paid. How is that happening? Do they have any sort of cultural impact? I mean, do people watch them? Yeah, they're popular as hell. Okay. So, I mean, that's something. But, like, with CNN, I mean, see, after reading that book, Harsh, I started to understand something. Before, I used to be like, how is CNN in business? Like, I really don't understand it. Like, how do people not watch this and be like, okay, this is like the world wrestling entertainment for news. Like if, if you want to, if you want a good laugh, then yeah. But that's when I started to realize like CNN's target market was never the typical American, but it's like the problem that they have 
is that that's how they market themselves as. If you say like we're predominantly based for a Washington-based audience who has interest in the Washington-based politics, then I'm sure that they'll uh, surprisingly do well because there are people scattered around the world with that sort of interest. But the problem that they're doing is that they're marketing themselves to the wrong people. And to help you understand this, it's like life math money. You already know your target audience. Like, what did you say it was? It was like a young men that are looking to uh, self-improve, right? Yes. Now, imagine if you're like, but but a life math money is a um, company for everyone. It's like, mm, you know, like now, like everyone comes along and they're like, oh, he's insulting people with blue hair. I have blue hair. He's insulting this idea. Ideology, I, you know, but it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now the problem is you're marketing yourself to everyone, while in reality, you are only targeting your message for one group of people all along. So you're smart because you're saying, I don't care about everyone. I just care, I care about my core group, while CNN is doing the opposite. But don't you see why they're doing that? It's because the core group. They, they claim to want unbiased news. Like, no one says, I want biased news. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, if, if CNN said, okay, we're a biased news channel and we're only going to service the viewpoints that these people want to hear, then the people who want to hear those viewpoints will stop watching them. Because but, despite those people wanting to hear them, they believe they want unbiased news. They want real news. But these people in Washington, they don't think like that. They don't say like, oh, biased or unbiased. They're like, oh, wait, CNN is supporting my political party. Turn up the volume. So that's how they're thinking. So when they see like, oh, whoa, people in CNN are tilting uh, left, they're helping me. Like, because people in Washington, right, the capital, that's mm -hmm. their jobs. Like throughout uh, the day, like they're 24 hours in the day, they're spending a lot of time talking to other people, uh, conducting deals. And now if they hear someone in this like CNN uh, saying uh, all the reasons why the right is bad and the left is good, they're seeing this as a vehicle to further spread their message. So they like the bias because it helps them, especially if they identify with the party that CNN is promoting. Of course, but, but, Arman, but they don't need to explicitly advertise that. No, because they, everyone yeah. already knows that. Like they're already advertising it, but they're not like, saying it explicitly. Yeah, you you got to be slick with it, and that's where. <laughs> but CNN... see, everyone knows that. Like every single person knows that CNN is extremely biased. Right, like, right. They don't have to be. They don't have to outright say it. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot of things like this in society, Arman, where a lot of things are, but saying it outright is hurtful and wrong, and is like is a bad tactical move. Okay. Let's take a woman who sleeps with every single guy. Like, she's a whore. If she says she's a whore, like, if she says, I am a whore, then that is, like, <laughs> bad for her, right? But as long as she says, I'm looking for the right person, she can keep doing what she's doing. Yeah. It's not as bad. Playing the field. So, <laughs> it is, a lot of it is just subliminal. Like, they're doing what they're doing. Everyone knows that. But since they're not saying it explicitly, it's fine. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, so the book is uh, interesting for that reason, because it filled in a gap in understanding. I was like, OK, now I see who their target audience is. And no wonder, like, they're still getting um, some viewers. But 
but yeah, man. I mean, honestly, news media, especially like mainstream news media, like they need to evaluate a lot of things, especially with you know a lot of technology changing. It's shifting industries, man. They're done, man. They're done. They're like zeros in the future, simply because of the fact that they can't compete in a free market. They're not as interesting to watch. Man, they should take that uh, WWE route, man. <laughs> reality yeah, because, tv <laughs> because recently i i pulled up uh youtube and i just started watching this uh, one a debate between kellyanne conway and chris cuomo and they're just over here just insulting each other the entire time and now as i'm watching it not from the angle of this being news but through the angle of entertainment i was like this Loki is pretty entertaining. I found it very funny. <laughs> I found it hilarious. And I thought, I could watch this every now and then. If you guys frame it that way. Frame it as entertainment, and I'll watch it. Frame it as news, and I will not watch it. Like Trump takes on Hillary. Mm-hmm. Double somersault. <laughs> <laughs> there is you can look a, at it that way. Yeah? That's interesting. So, you have you ever heard of MTV? I am aware of its existence, yes. Right, it's like music television. And in 2000s, like, all they would play was music. And that's what you would expect for them to play. Uh, but roughly around 2020, Harsh, they played music, like, I would say, like, 5%. And 95% of their programming for 24 hours was either, like, reality shows or some sort of shows that did not relate to music. So people started to criticize uh, MTV. They were like, you guys were founded on music. Why are you guys playing all these reality shows for? And, you know, there was this um, documentary that was breaking down why. And it was because people did not necessarily tune in for music. Like, typically what would happen was people would just come in, they'd hear their favorite song, but that wasn't enough for them to spend the entire hour. Yeah. Right. I mean, you just want to hear the song and dip. Now with the advent of YouTube, why the hell am I going to be watching a show for uh, an hour hoping that my song gets chosen as the top 10 when I could go straight to YouTube? So from a business standpoint, the reality shows was making them money and they had to do the music still to meet a quota. So I wonder if that's something that's going to happen with um, mainstream news. Interesting. So the bullshit is going to be 90%. (laughs) I would say we're already here. <laughs> we're already there right? where the bullshit is already the majority and the actual content, the signal <laughs> is like 5% or 1% maybe. It's really crazy. Have you, have you heard of something called Pew News? Pew News? No. I, I have, Is that from PewDiePie or something? Yeah, just give me one second. There's a lot of noise outside my room. Pew News. Let me see if I could find a definition of it. Okay, so... The first thing that comes up is the social media sites that journalists use most frequently for their jobs differ from those that public turns to for news. So there's it's- a guy who's called PewDiePie. I'm not, have you seen any of his videos? Mm-hmm. So he has something called Pew News. And I was looking at this meme and what they were doing was they were comparing how many viewers come to Pew News versus come to say CNN, okay? And these are the statistics. Let me find them one sec. 
I think PewDiePie is one of the biggest YouTube channels out there. I am aware that there was something going on with PewDiePie and T-Series. I don't really know who exactly won that. I don't know who T-Series is. It, it's supposed to, it's, a, it's a music company and it's super popular in India. And mm-hmm. it ha- it also has a lot of view of what do you call it, subscribers on YouTube. Okay. Okay, so MSNBC, 1.6 million total viewers, okay? CNN, 1.12 million total viewers. Fox News, 1.42 million total viewers. And Pew News, 8.42 million total viewers. That's insane, man. (laughs) And this picture is from three years ago, so it might have changed by now. But yeah... A lot of these mainstream news channels are like less popular than the more popular YouTube channels. That's crazy. I mean, I do see a market for them surprisingly harsh. Like, I don't think they'll die off completely, but I do think they have to rediscover their identity and they have to be able to articulate their identity so others don't say that you're lying to me. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with wrestling. Like, people found out um, that it wasn't real. If they kept saying, no, it's real. Uh, then people would have just laughed at them. So that's when they were like, "No, I mean, it's a we're predominantly an entertainment company first, and uh, wrestling is our form of like acrobatics, um, like our entertainment." And now it's like, okay, um, hardcore wrestling fans will probably dip, but the people who want the storylines, the plots, they'll be like, "I'll stay." And this is why WWE is still around to this day. So you have to know like what you stand for and be able to articulate that. I will say that mainstream news news that is you know a television it won't completely die off obviously, but it will become something like radio or like something like a niche interest where instead of say eighty percent of people knowing about it, say one or two percent people will watch or care, and it it's just going to be like something that's like dying it's it would be like radio or pagers or whatever you know mm-hmm. some old technology with some morons doing their thing and no one cares because modern day what do people watch they watch things like youtube and no one watches you know mainstream news on youtube because most people think it's bullshit mm-hmm. and the only reason these are still are these guys are still around on youtube is because the algorithm artificially boosts them so for mm-hmm. things, if you search like COVID, videos that are independent won't show up. And these official news channels, like authoritative sources, quote unquote, they are the ones who will actually show up on YouTube. So some, a lot of these guys are still around because they're artificially being promoted by YouTube. But eventually all of that is going to go away and these guys are going to die a slow death. Mm-hmm. What is the difference today between, say, Huffington Post which claims to be a news channel versus some guy's blog. There is no difference. It's right. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Except that Huffington Post is less reliable and we don't know who actually owns it. And it is just, you know, bullshit. Like it's garbage. Mm-hmm. Like there is zero credibility there. The second thing I want to say about world wrestling entertainment is that, you know, because you brought it up, I heard they get a tax benefit because now they're like a scripted show. Do they? So yeah, from what I'm aware, it it it, it was something like if they were unscripted, if they were like reality TV or something, 
or if it was like an actual fight mm-hmm. if it was an actual fight they would be in, in a different tax rate but because it's like a scripted show it's like a it's like a movie now and they they end up in a lower tax rate okay so if you were running like a real fight you would be taxed slightly higher but because this is like a scripted it's like a movie you end up in a different tax rate which is lower but i am yet to confirm this i came across this on the joe rogan podcast okay uh, well that's good for them then i heard vince mcman uh, the ceo or i think he stepped down recently but he, he was in this uh, documentary one time and he says i don't make wrestling matches i make movies and the interviewer completely missed that line and started to like read off a bunch of questions and immediately went to the next question i was like man you should ask him more about that because that's a very interesting insight into how he thinks about his company cuz he has a bird's eye view he was one of the ceos that like knows what everyone should be doing and he even knows the small little details like the font style in his wwe magazines so i wanted to see how he was thinking about this like he doesn't make wrestling matches he makes movies and it's an interesting insight harsh don't you think what is your interpretation of it well my interpretation like the more that i got to hear about vince mcmahon is that he wanted to build something like walt disney built where it's a media company and he is known for his content and he wanted to build these characters uh that uh could have little spin-offs of their own thing like one thing that i will give the wwe a lot of credit for is that it consistently creates stars it created john cena the rock stone cold who all went to have careers of their own uh so later on i found out dana white uh, the ceo or like the head honcho of ufc uh, follows the same script he's like i don't make money from the fights i make money from the content so they both perceive their businesses not just as fight businesses but content businesses that happens to give fights so it's a it's a big picture view of everything it allows them to think in assets and storylines and plots but of course arman it has to be that way right they're not in the fight business they're in the entertainment business they just happen to do it by fighting i'm trying to articulate it in a different way like that is obvious but what i'm trying to say is you heard of like mickey mouse donald duck goofy yes vince mcmahon was trying to create uh mickey mouse donald duck and goofy in his own universe so his whole plot was to create his own universe create characters within the universe and pretty much just create a brolic um uh donald duck um uh, goofy and um all these other different characters so when someone is like saying oh well wrestling is fake it's like yeah like i i get it it's fake but that wasn't his intention his intention was to create something like a walt disney company which i think he's been very successful in interesting what are your thoughts on wrestling being fake though would you watch it See, I would watch it like with the old school wrestlers. Like if Rock makes a return, you know, I'm watching that. If Stone Cold makes a return, I'm watching that. Triple H. But these new uh, characters, I'm not a big fan of. Um and it's because I I I'm not invested in it. Like if I stayed invested in the storyline, 
I'm sure I would be a fan of them, but I'm not. Like Bollywood. <laughs> I know you don't watch Bollywood movies, but I used to. And it's like I will still watch Bollywood movies if Shah Rukh Khan, Salman Khan, Hrithik Roshan, like the OGs were there. But nowadays, it's like a bunch of actors and actresses that I'm not familiar with. So I don't really watch Bollywood like that. You're resisting so, change. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could say it's a little nostalgic, Harsh. Like I, I like to watch the content that I grew up with because then it reminds me of something. I I know what you mean. I I, I see where you're coming from. I don't think you get what I mean though, because you don't watch content, so you're probably like, "No, what's this guy talking about?" No, I get what you mean. I know I I know what you're talking about. Like I was recently when I was sick. I was reading some science fiction, okay? okay. I never read fiction anymore. Like normally I would never read fiction. Or forget this, I was also playing some video games and I only play video games when I'm really really sick just to make time go really fast. And I was playing GTA 5. And it's this game is like 2013 release. I'm playing it right now. I you know, I I played it last week that is to say. And I'm playing it like now in 2022. Mm-hmm. and the game sucked so the reason i think the game was not so great like it was not a bad game but it wasn't like i, I didn't get the gta feel from it for like a few reasons one there was it was too easy like i played the game anytime <laughs> i failed a mission i'll just press retry and i can i get to start from the middle of the mission so there are checkpoints and two like i was able to do most of the missions in like one try Now when I look back I look back at like the games I played as a kid I look back at GTA Vice City I look back at San Andreas and I remember like playing these games for like a month or months to finish them because some missions were so hard that I would like get stuck on it for weeks and then I had to come back start the mission again and again and again and again with this one all the missions are easy and plus they like have checkpoints so you can like restart in the middle mm So I didn't get the GTA feel for it but the if you look at the actual reviews for the game they're overwhelmingly positive people love this game right so I don't like it because I'm comparing it to things I used to play as a kid and I want the same experience like I want the same feel I'm resisting change I don't want the new thing but the okay. people who started with the new thing they like the new thing more than the old thing like if I give them GTA Vice City they'll say this is bullshit I would keep going back to get the mission like half the time I'm getting the punishment. Mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying the game I'm working here. <laughs> This actually gives us both the perspective of like back in my days. You ever heard that saying? Yeah. Yeah, it's like now it's we're in that okay. era. <laughs> we're in that era where we're saying back in my days. <laughs> <laughs> no man, you better up. I'm just like <laughs> I'm not getting it. <laughs> I do bring it up sometimes because like even music like I'll listen to hip hop sometimes nowadays I'm like oh man like no no thank you man like way too like it's way too like um autotuned and I don't like it and immediately I just think and back in my days we had Nas we had 50 Cent we had Eminem and I'm subconsciously doing it I'm not even like consciously doing it and then I have this level of disgust for this new music I'm like only this kid these kids knew then I'm like oh no <laughs> I'm becoming one of these people <laughs> <laughs> Yeah man the nostalgia thing is there I will say it's very strong but I will also say regarding music 
this can actually this is like a statistical thing right like you get used to the music you listen to when you were a teenager Mm-hmm. and after a certain age say 25 26 27 you kind of like you your taste in music gets stuck forever right and then all modern music sounds like garbage yeah see that's the unique thing with content harsh where with technology you can't really ever argue stuff like that like today's computer is way better than a computer from 10 years ago it's very objective but with content it's so subjective where you'll hear all these different types of opinions no arman i will say that resisting change is universal even for computers the only thing is that computers don't change as much in the sense the change in speed and efficiency but it isn't like a radically new concept your mouse is still your mouse your monitor is still a monitor but if there was a new type of computer okay if it, if it was a computer where instead of a monitor it was like it it looked like an abacus and you saw some you know random something completely different okay you will resist change you'll be like what bullshit is this like do you remember when apple removed the extension cord what is it called the headphone jack yeah now if you look back on people like if you look at grandmothers today a lot of them don't care about computers they think it's bullshit they think that sitting and like looking at a computer all day is bad for health and they are happier with their mashed potatoes and you know whatever they do than we are like <laughs> than, than they would be with computers so it's the same thing right there is thing change and we would as change too if instead of going from computers like people of our age today like we're almost 30 right mm-hmm. if we were say switching from you know the system of having microphones and computers or something like vr headsets on us all the time like 24/7 whenever you go out you have a vr headset on you i would resist that change i'm like this is nonsense you know back in my day we used back to use smartphones <laughs> very very good point uh, actually uh, very good point because when they were first taking you're younger than me but do you recall the floppy disk era the floppy yeah, drive written on many of floppy disks yeah and once they got rid of the floppy disk um a lot of people were like oh man well why even buy a computer anymore right? it's like no one uses the cd's and then once they got rid of the cd's uh from the computer it's like well what so yeah i i do get your point there was does actually a practical a cd drive no does yours no yeah There was actually a very practical example for this and if you're a upcoming author you may appreciate this example. I wrote this book and I was um editing it um trying to fix up you know some spelling errors and uh, grammatical stuff. And as I'm doing it, uh, Microsoft Word has got cute with it, harsh where before you just double click and you could automatically highlight the entire word. Now, mm-hmm. if you double click, it creates a little uh, spinning icon so it populates the words on a little pop-up menu which if it's for one or two words that's not a problem like you could obviously overlook it but if you're trying to edit let's say a 300 page document these tiny little stuff of it like buffering for the uh, auto populated words to come up adds up so i hit up microsoft support and i'm like I don't want this. Uh, make it back to what it was. They're like, "Uh, sir, are, are you asking us for our old version of Microsoft document?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, 
but sir, are, are you aware that you're paying full for the new one? I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Give me the old version. <laughs> <laughs> so she was shocked. Like she couldn't get how I was asking for the old version. But eventually, like, you know, we were on the call. One hour later, she installs back the old version. She's like, sir, are you sure? You're, like, this is your final decision? I was like, yeah, lady, this is my final decision. And I timed myself, Harsh, on just 20 pages. With the When they got cute with it, it took me, let's say, 45 minutes to edit 20 pages. When I went back to the old version of Microsoft document, it took me 26 minutes. So Damn. That's yes. a big difference. So that's why I went back to the old version. So sometimes resisting change is good, you know, uh, but you have to be precise on w which battles you pick. I will say sometimes it's also a matter of getting used to it. Like, do you remember back in 2007 when they came out with Office 2007? They replaced the menus with a ribbon. You remember mm -hmm. that? Like I earlier, so. if you go to MS Office 2003, Mm -hmm. They would have a menu for everything and you had to like pick from sub menus, etc. And now we have a ribbon on top for the copy base and all the other stuff, right? Right, right. So when that change happened, everyone was mad about it. And I remember my school teacher saying this is nonsense. Like the previous one was so much more convenient and this takes so long finding where you know everything is. And now when I use Linux, I tried installing the there's something called LibreOffice. Or the library office still has the previous thing. It still has the menu. And I just couldn't use it because the menus were like so archaic. I'm so used to using a ribbon, which is so fast. I can like click instantly and have it. Versus trying to find the menu, finding a sub menu, etc. Right. So I think that a lot of it is just a sense of change. And yeah, sometimes changes are bullshit. Like, like the one you mentioned, where it's buffering. But right. usually it's just about getting used to it. Yeah, man. And... I see what you're saying, where before, I mean, I'm trying to think of another significant change that, like, we had no choice but to adopt. I mean, I can't empathize with the whole auxiliary cable thing because I have a droid, but that's not something that I would w want to do. Like, that's why I, I stay away from Apple at times, Harsh, because they have this tendency to get cute with it. And... <laughs> I don't know. What, Everyone just copies opinion? them eventually. You end up with the same thing. I have an S22 Plus Ultra thing, whatever it's called. It's a, it's a Samsung phone, and it doesn't have a headphone jack, and it's an Android. It doesn't? Yeah. I don't know. None, none of the newer Android phones have a, have a headphone jack. Okay. I wasn't aware so of that. Everyone ends up copying Apple for some reason or another. Like Windows 11... Looks like, uh, you know, the, the change the user interface to look more like an Apple iMac or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. So for some of the other reason, despite Apple getting cute with it and it being really annoying, everyone ends up copying Apple anyway. Oh. So you're like using Apple, but with a lag. Yeah, like the, I'm not a big fan of those AirPods at all. Like, if you're watching from video right now, you'll see that I have a headphone in. I like it where it just, I could stick it in my ear and I don't have to, you know, worry about it falling out. With those AirPods, it, it feels like it falls out. But does it actually fall out? I don't know, but I don't even want to think about, like, if I'm doing an activity, I don't want to toggle my head in a way where it feels like it's going to fall out. 
I've never used AirPods, but for their credit, I've seen people jogging wearing them and they don't fall out ever. Like I've never come across anyone looking for their AirPods that fell out. So maybe they're designed in a way that they stuck to your ear. But yeah, I see where you're coming from. But let's give Apple some credit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're giving them too much credit. No, I, I definitely see what you're speaking about. Did you see recently that I don't know if it's still the case, but Netflix did a nosedive in stock prices. What didn't do a nosedive in stock prices? But Netflix one was astronomical, apparently. Like it. Let me. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but like, um, it it was a very very steep uh, stock price. Um, oh man, it's it's insane. So it used to be six fifty, and now it's one seventy seven. It's like minus seventy five percent. Any theory as to why? It used to be six ninety, not six fifty. That's crazy. I have a few theories as to why that happened. Do you have any theories? So my theories would be a bit half baked because I'm not a consumer of their product. I never watch these movies. But mm-hmm. if I had to guess, and these are just like complaints I've heard from my friends, it's that they're too woke, where they they kind of like push their whole LGBT black people minorities thing so much that it goes from essentially being a show about entertainment to being a show about pushing LGBT. Mm-hmm. For example, like I, I just I told you right, I'm reading some science fiction. I'm reading this book called The Foundation Trilogy, and I'm on the third book. And in this book, this book has apparently been adapted to some TV show. And in the TV show, they made half the characters who were like men, women. Like that makes no sense. Like a lot of the developed characters, right. they were men. And they kind of like changed the entire thing and they made these characters like black women or like whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing against black people in general. But what the hell? Like the book says the guy is like a guy. So why are you changing it to be a woman? That makes no sense to me. And I would say a lot of the stuff is accumulating and is why Netflix is declining. But then again, this is a half big theory because I'm not a consumer of their drug. But tell me. Um, th- that is one of the things, Harsh, where uh, you don't want to mess with the content too much, where you're fiddling too much with certain ideologies and planting it in there. So I do think that's one of the reasons Another reason is nowadays more people are offering streaming services. I mean, there's HBO, there's Hulu, uh, there's Disney Plus, right? Mm-hmm. So, th- so that's another thing. Before, like Netflix was the head honcho, and hey, Harsh is echoing. It is one sec. How about now? Um, so that's uh, somewhat good, but whatever. Um, wait, let me try a headphone just a sec. Okay. Why does it happen after a certain amount of time? It I wasn't happening earlier. Damn it. Okay, now it won't happen because I'm on headphones. Speak. Okay. Okay. So and nowadays there's more streaming services. So there's some competition that's being taken away. Another thing um, was the whole concept of binging where before uh, it was seen as a good thing uh, do you know what binging is 
um, spending your entire day watching some TV show like a complete retard. Yeah, <laughs> but they became like that was their unique uh, selling point. They're like, this new series we're releasing the whole thing at once, and you get to enjoy it. Um, but the thing is, th- there was some research that said that when you binge a show versus when you have to wait week by week for the new episode to release, for binging, uh, the enjoyment levels are lower than you having to wait. And this was very counterintuitive because people were thinking, why? Like, we're in this hyper uh, target, like, speed culture. Well, why is the data saying that people don't like binging? Uh, or they reduce their enjoyment for it. Because a lot of people who consume content, they do it for social activities. Uh, so they want to, you know, meet up the next week and, be, you know, discuss the plot. Like, can you believe this certain character died? But you can't do that when someone is binging because one person watched the whole thing and the other person is still on episode two. So the social part gets ruined. So I think there's a few different variables that added up and just hit them at once, which led to the nosedive. Interesting. I heard they were also adding advertising, right? Yeah, but this was something that they were vehemently against before. And that was one of their unique selling points where you could watch the entire thing without any advertisement. That's one of the reasons I hate Hulu because it's like all these advertisements and you gotta, you can't skip it or anything. But with so Netflix, what's the point? It's like TV then. If you have to watch ads, why are you paying for this? Yeah, and it, it doesn't help that like you know the CEO like took a harsh stance against it. And I get it; times change, and you may have to adjust even on certain core philosophies but it's like that's one thing man another thing is harsh they're releasing so much content where um there's not enough promotion behind the content where that can be another issue as well like sometimes a new season will be released and i'm like i didn't even know it was out because there's a few things that do matter so a lot of the times like you don't know when a new content piece is out you know, I think, you know what a good business can be for someone who's really rich? Someone mm. who's really rich can actually buy out all of these companies, okay? Hulu, Netflix, whatever, you know, all these video streaming services that are popular. Mm-hmm. And then make like a combined subscription. Or they could get together and make a combined subscription. That you buy the subscription, you get everything. And then depending on whatever documentary or movie you're watching, like a part of a subscription would go to like the person who is distributing it. Yeah. I could see that. I think the big reason why, like, the, what's happening right now is that if you if you are an avid consumer of these drugs, then you have to have a subscription to all of the drug dealers. And you need to be also on Netflix, also on Hulu, whatever, whatever. And instead of it being like a $10 drug service, it's like a $50 or $100 a month drug service. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just not watch it or like, you will then pick and choose. Okay, I only need one. And I think that's kind of why these services might be losing money. Yeah, I mean, this seems like one of those industries where we have to see if competition leads to more innovation or if it just leads to um, bursts of profitability, but not any long-term returns. Because the thing is, Harsh, like there, some people will choose a streaming service just because it has their favorite show on there. Like a lot of people will just get HBO because they could watch Game of Thrones there. 
But then it's like, oh, I don't really like the other shows too much, but I like Game of Thrones. And and I could see your idea working where they're all under one umbrella. Um, I know bootleggers are doing that now. In India, if you get your internet connection from many companies, you get a subscription to all of these for free. Mm-hmm. So if you buy a high-speed internet connection, you get like Reliance, what is it called? Like Reliance um, Video and you get Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu and all of them were their internet connection for free. Okay. You don't have to pay for them. Like they come with the net connection. Oh, okay. That's a, so that's a similar idea of what you're proposing with streaming services? Yeah, like some... Some way to get them all together. Yeah. It'll be interesting, man, because streaming is like still a relatively new thing. Like before people were uh, doing DVD rentals. Before that, they were doing uh, cassette tape rentals. So streaming is a rather new platform or a new methodology. Yeah, I would say it kind of killed piracy where earlier people would pirate movies and songs and now no one does mm-hmm. because they can just watch it from, you know, the streaming service. Yeah. Interestingly, the guy who was selling me this internet connection, he was selling me that, but like, so I have a very fast connection. I pay like $25 a month for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I get like these services free with it, which is like, you know, Netflix, whatever, whatever. And I was telling him, okay, I'm not going to use Netflix. I never watch it. So how about you pay me to, for this internet connection because I'm not going to use all these services and I'll just use the internet. Look at you, businessman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was not amused. <laughs> <laughs> but to be frank, I do save more money. Like I say, it's for me, this internet connection is almost free mm-hmm. because they give me free Amazon Prime and a bunch of other things which my other family use. So earlier, instead of paying for them separately, I get my net for free now. Yeah, and with these streaming services, a lot of people use it for different reasons. Like some people, they don't watch any of the shows. Uh, but have you ever heard of the concept Netflix and chill? I I think it means something like sleeping with the girl. Like this is like supposed to be like a way of calling her to your house. So you can sleep with her. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a boutique. It's like a informal way of saying this like you want to netflix and chill and so you guys are watching a show and then you know something happens so this guy doesn't use netflix at all throughout their day but they have it as a dating vehicle all right (laughs) (laughs) so that's what netflix and chill is the remix of that nowadays called a disney plus and thrust <laughs> See, that's too raunchy. See, Netflix and chill is Netflix and chill. Okay, so you like that one better. But the point no, but the, ma- Disney, the, the first one is like too raunchy and kind of like gives away the, the you know the context. Yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, I mean, different people use these services for different reasons. Um uh, with Netflix before, they weren't too strict on uh, the password sharing. Nowadays they're about to crack down on it. So that could be another thing that, you know, is playing, I wouldn't say a role in their demise. Uh, they went through something like this earlier in their career. Um, the main focus for them should be like focus on the content. Hmm. I don't know. I don't watch the stuff, so I can't really comment on it. All yeah. I can say is that most people that complain about Netflix that I hear about are them complaining about it being too woke. 
yeah, I, I mean, I could definitely see the woke thing being an issue. Um, but the thing with Netflix, like if you understand their business model, is that they release so much content. And there's like, let's say, from hundreds and hundreds of new shows and stuff being added on, like five to 10 are like super woke. And it leaves, it gets the most publicity. And now all these other shows are viewed as woke too. Some of them, like, uh, they're, not, they're not really woke. They have great storylines and everything. Like Squid Games was a great show. But around that same time, there's another show where, like, a man is getting pregnant. It's like, what? what? So you got, yeah, so you got to be a little bit more mindful in the show that you're adding on. I get it. Like, they have their data. They're, they're experimenting. Um, but you got to be a little bit more mindful in that. And you can't, another problem is that they invest a lot in having like these uh, seasons that do good. And once they build a lo loyal following, they cancel season two or three. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, keep the show going. So why did they cancel them? They just cancel it. I don't know. I mean, for like internal politics, sometimes the people don't want to come back. And sometimes they're just like, oh, it's time for it to go. Um, there's a lot of unique ideas, uh, I think, to revive Netflix. Remember one time we were talking about uh, Harry Potter from the lens of Voldemort? He mm -hmm. must not be named. Well, with Netflix, they should, like, let's say, restart the Breaking Bad series, but through Jesse's lens. Like, how cool would that be? Now they could revive that show and revive Netflix. And the only way you could watch it is through Netflix. So there's a lot of ideas, but it all you boils down You mean like spinoffs, right? You mean like spinoffs? Spinoffs, yeah. Spinoffs were already popular shows. But they're already doing that, aren't they? Not like really. There's I like a stall show for Breaking Bad. And... Yeah, but they they should keep they should do that more. Rather than releasing so much new content, do some spinoffs of shows that already worked. What exactly is... Netflix's model, like, do they record on their own or are they more like a contractor where, okay, you make a show and then you can put it on Netflix? So is it like somewhat similar to YouTube or is Both. it more like? Both. So they have, um, so they get content from other studios that make the shows and they also produce original content. I see. So, they, so House of Cards out was... of their hand? No, if they do, um, um, if they do original content, um, yeah, so so like for House of Cards, that was one of those shows that were like really good. It's original content, uh, but unfortunately, Kevin Spacey got you know in some trouble for some illegal stuff. But I wonder if they could relaunch the series from a different angle. Uh, I don't know if Black Mirror is a a um original, but if it is, like they could relaunch or release more episodes of that show. I'm just thinking out loud, man. But what I'm trying to say is that. Uh, the sky's the limit for these sort of companies. It's just um, they need to they need to fine tune a little bit more. And I get it because they're pretty much learning with us at the moment because there was never streaming before. So they're learning this new landscape in real time. Interesting. I I think that we're missing a big piece of the puzzle in this discussion. Is how much money does a show actually make? That's a good question. Um, because if the show is making a lot of money, then all of these things make sense. But if producing more shows doesn't actually make that much money, that is, like, the money is actually made by shows that have already been produced, like a cash cow, 
then yeah, I can see why they might not be producing too much and relying more on, say, external studios to produce the show. So I'm not sure how much money they're making. And certain shows have like verticals that can expand, like Stranger Things. Like that's a show that you can uh, make like uh, shirts on. Like people identify with a certain character, so they'll like, oh, I could buy merchandise with that. Um, and you could expand into other verticals. While certain other shows, like they don't really, ha- they'll be a great show, but they don't allow it to expand into other verticals. So I've been very curious about this, Harsh, because you know I just got done reading um, one of the co-founders of Netflix's book, um, That Will Never Work by Mark Randolph. And like he basically discusses the whole ideation process of how he got the idea in the first place and his journey from like starting all the way to going public. And, you know, I saw like the origin stories of Netflix. So it's unfortunate to see them going through a tough time right now. Uh, hopefully they can bounce back and focus on the vision, which is the stories. Not all these woke stuff and all the other noise. I don't know. Maybe it might not be Netflix. Maybe it's going to be a competitor or someone who starts a completely new company. Because I think the woke stuff is like an infestation, you know? Like you have to fire all of your staff and hire all new people to get rid of it. Mm. Because it might, it isn't a problem of like content, it's a problem of people. Right. Where all of your staff is like filled with woke people and you can't like change their minds. You have to fire them and hire new people. And at the end of the day, if you do that, it's a new company. So this yeah. is like a decadent culture, you could say. It's like a decadent culture and the ship is sinking and you're better off starting a new ship than, say, trying to fix this ship. Because the problem is not the ship, the problem is the crew. Interesting. I could see that. There was a period where Amazon was going to buy Netflix. This was in 1998, 99. Uh, but last minute... Um, they um netflix was like no we believe in ourselves uh, we don't want to like settle for the price you guys are giving us um uh, nowadays it, it's pretty uh, hilarious because netflix uses amazon web services you know what who AWS does is? everyone uses yeah everyone yeah. uses aws yeah and but, but this is the the catch 21 um they use amazon um web services but amazon has a streaming platform now too called amazon prime so I wonder how much of the data that they get from Netflix that they use for their own premium content. None. You think none? No, no. So Amazon, AWS is more like an infrastructure service where you can hire servers and everything. Mm-hmm. But I would be really, really, really surprised if they actually like violate their TOS and privacy policy and look over what's stored on your server. Plus, you can prevent them from doing so by using encryption. Yeah, it, it was just an idea because um, I, I was watching this one video, Harsh, on, I think it was titled Why Everyone Hates Jeff Bezos. And there was another remix of that video called like, Why Everyone Hates Jeff Bezos But Loves Elon Musk. And this guy was just, you know, spinning out a lot of these theories. Wait, and that who was hates one of the- Jeff Bezos? The what? Why does anyone hate Jeff Bezos? That guy's amazing. A lot of people hate Jeff Bezos, man. I mean, 
I don't know if it, it's that common in India, but in the US, a lot of people hate him. Why? Like in India, like I don't know about India. Like I can tell you, I love Jeff Bezos. Just go on YouTube right now and just type in Jeff Bezos hate. You'll see so many videos on it. I would say, other than like Donald Trump, um, I would say Jeff Bezos is like up there in the top five to ten most hated people out there. Jeff Bezos hate, but why? For a multitude of reasons. I mean, I don't agree with it, but it's like um, the the workers' life in Amazon, how he owns so much things. Um, uh, yeah, so like the, the people who work in the warehouse. Like, I haven't seen videos yet, but I'm looking at the Google results. I see, I see where you're coming from. So, from they a consumer say, perspective, like Jeff Bezos is amazing, right? Like you get everything for cheap. The goods are genuine, and you know the company is very customer friendly. But from okay, like the guys essentially like getting really cheap employees and kind of making money off the U.S. postal service, right? Mm-hmm. But in India, like it's the opposite. Like he set up his own distribution system altogether. He's not using the regular distribution system. So yeah, Jeff Bezos is an amazing guy. And if you ask me, all the people who complain about being paid too little, like find a different job. Like if you were worth more money, like if you deserve a higher wage, find someone who's going to pay you a higher wage. And my other bone to pick with that argument, like with the Amazon uh, not having the great work environment, is that when you're running a complex system, like a business and it scales to the level that Amazon has gotten to. I don't think Jeff Bezos particularly is involved in every single decision-making stuff. I think there's certain stuff that he is responsible for. Now, granted, like, can he improve the work atmosphere? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure like if that's what he set his mind on, like he could improve it, but I wouldn't put all the blame on him. Like there are stuff called like floor supervisors, other supervisors, like managerial directors, regional coordinators and such. And to just be like, oh, let's ignore all of them and just put it on Jeff Bezos because he found the company. It's like, huh? You're not thinking complex systems. You're thinking of um, simple blame game to a complex problem. My friend, that's how people work in masses, right? (laughs) <laughs> people don't think in complex system they think the spokesperson is the enemy so why do people blame trump or hillary clinton or whoever is in charge who's president despite the president themselves not having as much power as the people around him right mm-hmm. the guy who gets the limelight is the one who gets the blame and the credit yeah so that's just a part of it, you know. That's just a part of the job of being in the limelight, of being known as the founder of something or the president or like the CEO of something. That you get all the credit, but you also get all the blame. No, that's true. I, I mean, that was like one of the reasons why, you know, personally for me, like, is Jeff Bezos the perfect person from what I'm aware of? No. Uh, but then again, no one is. Uh, but the amount of value that he has provided to the world and how he's changed up so much industries or a guy like me nowadays can create all those books behind him without going to these, like getting an agent and going to a publishing company, uh, you know, you know, getting my work edited out and playing all these games. And I go, go straight to the people. That's something that he made possible. So there's 
a lot of value that he's created in his journey. And we can't just focus so much on the negatives where we ignore the positives. And there are a lot of positives. I think people just, some people, I would say not all people, but some people just want an excuse and they're haters, you know. I'm actually very surprised you haven't heard of Jeff Bezos's hate. So it must be like very different in um, the East. I mean, what's the people's perceptions of Jeff Bezos? People don't really think about Jeff Bezos here, but I can give you the Amazon's perception and it's overwhelmingly positive. People love Amazon because one, earlier what would happen is that when you would buy from a local store, you could never really be sure whether the goods you bought were fake or genuine mm-hmm. because fake goods were so rampant. Like it's in third world countries, like you can't really tell whether something is fake or not unless you actually like import the product yourself. Mm-hmm. So with Amazon, this kind of this problem kind of went away where you can really trust Amazon. Like it's it's going to be probably going to be genuine. Secondly, things are much cheaper on Amazon, so you are less likely to get ripped off. Right. So people love Amazon. They love the convenience. Everyone likes it. Usually what a monopoly does is that a monopoly will say, I'm going to jack up prices. But Amazon is a monopoly, but they haven't done that yet. They've kept prices low. So mm-hmm. people love Amazon. It's it's a very positive thing and people like it. And yeah, they, they aren't like costing taxpayers money in India, right? Like they're actually helping the economy out by hiring so many people, so many delivery staff, etc. So Amazon is very popular with people here, but I order from them almost every day. Buying a lot of books. Books, household items, even like food and things like that. Mm-hmm. Things like rice and sugar and everything. I'll just buy from Amazon. Yeah. To boil down your question, initial question of why people hate Jeff Bezos, uh, predominantly um, like in the West, I'll boil it down into this sentence. People associate Jeff Bezos with greed. Like anytime you picture like a greedy capitalist for a large group of people, that's the first image that pops up in their mind. And that's like the narrative in the mainstream regarding him at the moment. Interesting. So it's a bit like um, an emotional reaction. Yeah, I mean... Some people, um, like, I, I don't know what information that they're dealing with, uh, but, yeah, I mean, they, they haven't, uh, you, you there, Harsh? Looks like Harsh dropped off. Uh, if you're still there, Harsh, uh, you're not currently available at the moment. Hey, sorry, there was some issue with the thing, and I'm back. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say it's uh, an emotional decision. I don't know the information that they're dealing with. So maybe from their point of view, there's some logic behind it. Uh, but for the most part, like there's like, you know, shortcuts in the brain. Uh, it's, it's a brand, right? Like Nike, just do it for plenty of people. It's like Jeff Bezos, greed. I don't know where the greed part comes from, though, because everything on Amazon is cheap. It's like the guy's being anti-greedy. It's cheap. Man, I, that, I think I have the perspective I do because I read his shareholder letters in 98, like all this, like he was getting all this heat and he always kept the mission in mind. Like you keep customers first, you give them low prices, a lot of different options, 
and fast delivery time, he kept his end of the promise. So now if he's winning, let the man win. Um, but I don't know the uh, the other sides to it. I, I never want to just choose one side and be like, this is the right side and you guys are like fully wrong. I wonder if there's a reason why these other people have a strong hatred towards him. And hypothetically harsh. Let's just envision I'm ourselves. I'm back in one minute. I'm so sorry. Well, while he's uh, gone at the moment, I wonder, like, you guys got to think with me. Like, what are some of the reasons to not like him at the moment? I would say, like, one of the things is very similar to some of the criticism Dana White faces in his industry. Uh, They're saying that he's slowly building a monopoly on the fight industry, or that's what it's looking like in the upcoming era. And I wonder if that's the predominant concern with a guy like Jeff Bezos. I wonder if it stems from that issue where, you know, being stuck in a monopoly-like business allows them to have much more power. And let's say labor unions are forming or something like that. When you have so much control over the industry, that labor union has less of a threat in comparison to you. So that can be, you know, I'm just spitballing here out loud, uh, but that could be one of the reasons. Now, in addition to that, like with Jeff Bezos being hated so much, uh, these videos that I'm discussing uh, at the moment, the other caveat to this is that Jeff Bezos is hated while Elon Musk is often loved by the general public. Now, before Elon Musk became the world's richest man, the predominant reason to hate Jeff Bezos was because he was so rich. You know, that was the bone to pick with him. It's like, no one deserves that much money. But that's where the, like, you know, it confuses me at times because now Elon Musk has way more money, but that concern never comes up with him. Instead, people are like, well, if anyone was going to have that much money, I would trust Elon Musk with it. So it's one of those things that are very interesting to think out loud with because you just see how perception is different for different people. I'm back. Sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, I, I was just breaking down how Jeff Bezos is hated while Elon Musk, on the other hand, is loved. And before, uh, it was because Jeff Bezos was the world's richest man and people were like, no one deserves that much money. But now with Elon Musk being the world's richest man, people say, well, if anyone was going to have that much money, it should be a guy with a good heart like Elon Musk. Why do you think this perception different exists? The media. The media. But don't you think the general media hates Musk? Now they do because he's trying to buy Twitter. <laughs> but when he was out of their way, they didn't hate him. So yeah, a lot of these opinions are kind of like people are NPCs, right? And the media sets their opinion for them. And if the media is like against you for an extended period of time, then you're you're you will become a controversial person, so to speak. Of course, this the power is fading away over time. But I would say the big reason why one person is hated in the public and the other person is liked comes down to news reporting mm-hmm. or propaganda, you could say. Well, that's what it is. Okay, so what what are your predictions with Elon Musk in the future? Like, do you think he's a force for good, force for not so good? 
no opinion at the moment i like this guy he's amazing he, like, he's super intelligent and yeah like he's not woke which is really, something i admire you know like <laughs> usually all of these people are woke or they're silent like if they're not woke they're like too smart to say anything against wokes but this guy is you know not like them he's more like trump in a way mhm so i like the guy i like what he's doing with the whole electric car thing and the space thing and yeah i i hope him the best the only big thing i disagree with him is that i think that he's he has or is going to hurt a lot of people by promoting dogecoin because dogecoin is an outright scam at this point like as an investment it's not an investment it's like it's a like gambling wasn't and he getting sued regarding that recently i don't know about that but all of these people who invest too much in dogecoin will eventually go to zero and yeah you could kind of blame elon musk for it but you could also say people are dumb for like just buying whatever elon musk said you should buy but that's one thing i disagree with him on like well one of the headlines i'm reading is elon musk sued for 258 billion dollars over alleged dogecoin pyramid scheme Yeah you can sue anyone over anything it doesn't mean anything you know like i can sue like any random person for like 10 100 trillion dollars but doesn't really mean it's going to end in like winning mm-hmm. but but are you're basically saying dogecoin is not something that you would recommend Yeah of course like it isn't uh, it's just a mi- gimmick like it's just popular because it's popular Mm-hmm. But there is no vision behind it. It's not a real cryptocurrency in the sense that it's on money, right? It, it's not limited in supply. It's not being mined actively, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's not being developed actively, mm-hmm. and it's just being promoted because it's a joke, right? It's named Doge, so it's funny. And these gimmicks don't last. Mm-hmm. It has no future. That's what I'm telling you. Like there is no no problem with solving. Right. See, that's a. I'm definitely gonna take your uh, teacher crypto class and learn more about this. Teach yourself crypto. dot com. Yeah. Well, we talked about uh, about a lot of stuff, Harsh. There's this. Um, how much time do you have left, by the way? Half an hour. Okay. Um. On World Star Hip Hop, um, there was this. Uh, you know, I'm just looking at it right now. Uh, there's this uh, video that went viral recently, and it sparked a debate. I wanted to get your opinion on it. So mm-hmm. there's this guy that's coming out of the car with a McDonald's bag, and his wife is recording him, and she's livid. She's like, "He's only bringing in uh, McDonald's food for his son. What about my uh, three other kids? He didn't bring McDonald's for them." So by the time he gets to the door, like she's not opening the door, or she's yelling at him, like. You only bought McDonald's for your son. What about my three other kids? And she was yelling at him. And there was this debate on TikTok or whichever platform it went viral on of whether the guy did the right thing. Like should he have only bought his kid uh McDonald's or should he have bought everyone the McDonald's so the other three didn't feel ostracized. Hmm. Interestingly, I would say in this case the mother is right. Really? I was not expecting you you to say that. See, they're kids, right? And 
see, firstly, it's it was a really stupid move of him to have sex with this woman who has three other kids and like actually get her pregnant, and now he has to like live with this nonsense forever. Like his like kid is like the mother is like has other kid children for the other guys. So that was a really dumb move. But now that's already happened. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to buy food for just one kid and the others are going to look at him and like, like, that's weird. You know, like you don't do that to kids. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine you have kids and other kids are coming to play to your house. Will you only feed your kid and the other kids will not get the food? That's not going to happen, right? Like, that's going to be weird for you. Right. Like, if if you have kids, Arman, like Arman's house, Arman's children are there and there's other three, four-year-olds playing with your son or daughter, whatever, and you're ordering McDonald's, will you only order McDonald's for your kid? And then your kid will eat it while, like, other kids are, like, playing with him and they can't eat the McDonald's that they really want because they're kids? You know, that's a, that's a weird thing to do to kids. Mm-hmm. So, unless it, this was, like, a private meeting with the kid, like, it's going to be, like, the kid, your kid in your room only, then, then it's fine. Then one packet of McDonald's for your kid is fine. But if all the kids are going to be around and you only bought food for one, that feels bad for these other kids because they don't understand your situation, right? Like They don't appreciate that you are not their father. For them, okay, there's like four kids and one got something and I didn't get anything. That's not right. So I can see the mother's perspective. I would agree with her. Like it was this guy's fault for having sex with this girl. And actually making a kid here. Mm. Like the other kids shouldn't be punished for it. Okay. Huh. So I was not expecting you to take that path at all. Um, uh, so that's a good point. Um, so before uh, she didn't, like you couldn't see her face because she was holding the camera. Uh, but on mm. World Star Hip Hop, um, she recorded a different video. Um where like the title is mother response to viral mcdonald's clip about her going off on her man for only bringing food for his kid and you know you see her face and she's breaking down the psychology of why she was so mad apparently she got mobbed right after the video and um she's explaining she's like here's why i was mad and she was pretty much using the logic that you used my thing is i, I get where you're coming from I don't think the guy is obligated, though, to buy the McDonald's. Like, is it a pleasant thing to bring McDonald's for everyone? Sure. uh, But I don't think he should be obligated to. Um, Especially, um, I I don't really, like, the way, I mean, I don't know how much money this guy has. But, like, you do this once. Like, now it's like every time you're trying to visit your kid, you bring McDonald's. You got to bring it for everyone. And eventually, I don't know this guy's finances, but that could add up. It's kind of like one of those debates where, like, let's say you go on a date and the girl's like, "Can I bring my friend too?" And it's like, now do you buy um, drinks for her, like the date and her friend as well? And like, some girls expect that. It's like, oh, you're not gonna buy my friend's drink as well? And it's like, mm, I'm not obligated to do that. I decided to turn into a feminist for today. Yeah, he's not obligated, of course. Like, he's not obligated to even buy McDonald's for his own kid. Like, there are no obligations here. But I can see that. Because now she's going to expect it. It's like, you buy McDonald's one time uh, for the kid. Like, everyone, the next time she's going to, it's going to be a habit in her mind. And it's like, 
I know, I can see it. I can see it. I, I can see the logic of not bringing the Magdi for like the other kids, but I can understand the woman's anger, although I think that it was an overreaction to publish it on the net because it's going to backfire, which it did, like you said. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can like see her perspective, man. Like there's three other kids and they're kids, they're not adults. Like they're like, I don't know how old they are, but you're describing them to be kids. And yeah man kids feel bad like you know like if my cousin brother or someone i'm like someone i live with or whatever you know if they got something and i didn't get it i'm gonna feel bad and mm-hmm. yeah like at the end of the day the mother has to live with that situation right like the other three kids are gonna be mad that i didn't get macdy someone has to bring it for me or i'm gonna keep crying Do you know right. what i mean so yeah, it, it, I would say that it's a tactless move to like just bring food for one kid. Like imagine, Arman, if someone comes to visit you, but they only give your brother a gift and they don't give you anything. <laughs> would he not cry? Would he not make your mother buy you something? Just so that it's fair. No, I wouldn't cry, but... Um, when you were a kid, you would cry. <laughs> don't give yeah. me that. Oh, yeah. If I was a kid. No, no, I, I see what you're saying. I'm thinking about this. If so it's situation, someone has to buy those three kids Mac- McDonald's. So why doesn't she buy it for? Uh, why doesn't she buy her own kids McDonald's then? Why does the she guy wasn't have buying to it for it? anyone? Right? She doesn't. Huh? She wasn't buying it for anyone. Well, she should Venmo this guy then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, if if she can, then she should because those aren't those aren't his kids. I see what you're saying, but I do have a problem with like this guy, basically. Because it's a, is it a one-time thing or is it a situational thing where every time you buy uh, McDonald's now you have to think of uh, three other kids that you have to feed and it's like I mean, the best way he, it could be that you know meeting his own kid like outside the house or away from the three kids if he's not going to bring food for them or if he's only going to bring food for one person or because if other kids are just going to watch and eat this like watch and see this kid eat MACD while the rest of them just crave it that i can see it like with kids it's not gonna work well like they're gonna start crying and they're gonna want it and eventually the mother is gonna have to buy it for them so i can see why the mom is annoyed and i ha- she has some sympathy but she's also an idiot who bought the situation on herself and so is the guy and here we are like there's a right answer for this like there's just perspectives yeah it's a perspective thing and i think it's like if you like Let's assume hypothetically that this guy doesn't have like money like that. Let's say he's one of those paycheck to paycheck kind of guys. And, you know, and that's like a lot of people like they have to work. They have to get a paycheck and then they have a certain amount that they can, you know, splurge just a little bit. Now, a little bit of that is always going to the his son. Now, from that splurge money, if it's to be expected that every time he visits his son, that he also has to. Uh, get food for kids that are not his that can add up over time and my it's a thing hard is, situation man i agree yeah, it's a very hard situation and one of the comments was so hilarious because the guy's like you gotta buy all the kids um uh, mcdonald's i did it for 11 kids and i wouldn't change a thing and, and a bunch of comments were like 11 kids well damn bro <laughs> because i mean mcdonald's for 11 kids that eventually adds up but, you know, he's making the case like you are, where, like, you got to do it for everyone. It's a difficult situation. Um, I'm not going to 
I'm not gonna um, hate on the guy though. I, I think uh, like for him to get blasted like that was inappropriate, and I don't think it warranted that in the first place. Man, McDonald's is expensive now though. It used to be very cheap, mm-hmm. but nowadays McDonald's prices are like higher. I was trekking recently, and you know on a trek you want to carry food that doesn't like spoil for a while. Mm-hmm. So typically I will carry McDonald's burgers. So I like stop in the morning for the trek. I like, you know, pack up like five, six burgers for the day and eat them in the night or whenever I'm like done trekking or like on the top of the mountain, whatever. And recently I was trekking. This was before I got COVID. So like around the 10th, you could say. Mm-hmm. And I stopped at the McDonald's and I was like buying these Mac veggies and they were really expensive. Like I was surprised by how pricey they are. I think they used to cost when I was a kid, like 50, 60 rupees. Now they're like a hundred something. Let me actually see how much it costs now. Can you download the McDonald's app? I have it here on Swiggy. One sec. Because if you can download the McDonald's app, they have so many great deals there. No, this was like, you know, at the outlet. It's like a highway outlet. Mm -hmm. One sec. What is it called? Mac Reggie, right? Yeah, so it's like 130, 40 rupees now, 130, 140 rupees. That's crazy. It used to be like 60 rupees or 70 rupees, like twice the price that I remember. Wow, that's almost double the price. Almost double the price. Like I remember a Mac uh, Alutiki, like the, the cheapest burger used to be like 20, 25 rupees. Mm-hmm. And now it's like 50 rupees. That's insane. Like that's like twice the price. So McDonald's is no longer cheap anymore. Now it's like an expensive place. Or, like, you know, like expensive for most people, you could say. Yeah, and nah, now nah, nah we're getting the other guy's perspective. <laughs> I get his perspective. Like, I, I don't, I'm not disrespecting him for it. I don't think he did the wrong thing, but it was a tactless thing. Like, you are causing three children unhappiness for no reason. I mean, if you are broke, then there is a reason. But he, it, at the end of the day, you did cause those three kids a lot of unhappiness by not bringing something for them and bringing something for their brother. Man, I, I don't know if they call, he caused them unhappiness. Like, I could see, like, the like if we're trying to argue for, like, the worst-case scenario, yeah. But, I mean, hypothetically, let's say he didn't bring McDonald's at all. Then I'm still sure that they have food. So, But, yeah, they, they would not be unhappy because a lot of these things are competitive, right? Like, if just because your brother got something and you didn't is enough to make you unhappy, even though your situation didn't change. And I'll give you an example, okay? When I was visiting my cousin brother, and my cousin brother at this time was like seven years old, and his brother, like his actual brother, was like a couple years younger, so like maybe five years old. Or I think they were like 10 and seven or something. Okay, like let's go with 10 and seven. Mm -hmm. And I took the 10-year-old out, and I had some pani puri and burger and everything, and I was like chilling with him. And when I came home, I found the seven-year-old crying. And he had the entire house on his head, okay? He was crying and screaming because I took the 10-year-old out and I didn't take him. And now he wants <laughs> to go out because otherwise it's not fair. Oh, so okay. He, I, I see. <laughs> now I had to take him out. And the thing is that I couldn't take them both out. Like I had to just take him out alone. Yeah. Because earlier I took the other guy out alone. So now I had to take him out alone and then buy him stuff and then feed him. Otherwise, he wouldn't stop crying. <laughs> dude it's so hilarious that you said that because um when i was a little kid 
um, my dad would have me and my brother in the back seat, and he would um, get the gas, right? And you know how each of the buttons are different colors for like diesel, regular, like mm -hmm. medium. So my favorite color was red. <laughs> my brother's favorite color was blue. And I think the cheapest gas, like the regular one, was blue. And the medium one was red. And each time, my dad would always get the blue gas, like the regular one, like most people do. And I would start crying. Like, eh, like. And my dad's like, once he got back in the car, he's like, why are you crying? I was like, you got the blue for my brother's favorite color, but you're never getting the red. And I'm still crying. And he's like, Armand, it's because the red one is more expensive and I don't need that kind of gas for my car. So I definitely get your perspective. When you're a little kid, like you do get competitive and you do compete with other people. But I still, I would say I'm still more favor in the guy's perspective in this scenario. I can understand his perspective, especially if money is tight. Like, you know, you can't buy food for everyone. But I will say, like, assuming money is not tight, it was a tactless thing to do. But but the thing is, for a lot of people, like, you know, you, you Mr. Big Baller, that's what I, my nickname for you is, because uh, you always got the moolah. But for a lot of people, man, the money is tight, especially nowadays. And it's like, you always want to think, like, up into the future, like, Let's say I go on a date and I ask this girl out to the date and she brings, let's say, two of her friends hypothetically because she doesn't feel safe. Like it's my first time meeting her and she uh, she's like, oh, you're going to buy these two other friends of mine drinks, too. Right. I'm not obligated to do that. I'll do it because, you know, I, I have the money, but I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay okay so you have a different perspective with the girl but like let's say like the first date i'm like all right whatever man like it's not a big deal with me like if it's a couple of extra dollars whatever but if you keep inviting your friends not all the time but for a decent amount of times for me to notice in future interactions now it's like fam like you're crossing a boundary like at least ask or at least you should be making it up with something if i'm going to be purchasing for your friends and them they should not be expecting it if i do it i should be getting a whole bunch of thank yous uh, but if they're just like oh okay uh, the, the, uh, he bought me food it's like i'm not obligated to do, do that and it's like if i'm thinking out into the future it's like the money adds up yeah i would say for a for an adult like it would be weird you know like for them to not understand these things but for a kid, like the kid, you can't expect them to understand. So I would not compare these scenarios. But yeah, if money is tight, I, I would say there are tactfuler ways of doing it, right? Like, you know, like take the kid out to McDonald's instead of like bringing it home. I would expect the kids to understand, though, man. I don't think depends we be, on the age. I don't think we should be that soft with kids. No, kids don't understand. Trust me. I, I, I can tell you from experience. The, 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 you said they're what? Kids don't understand these things. I can tell you from experience, right? Like this was like a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I took one of them out and the other wanted to go out alone with me and do the exact same things. So he didn't let me bring the other guy around for the next time. Like He was like, I want to go alone with you and we're going to have the same fun and we're going to buy the same things or we're going to buy something better. Right. And no, no, I get that. I, like you're making the emotional case for it, which I do get. No. I'm making the rational, like how it is in the sense that this is how kids are. 
and you have to deal with them how they are you know we can't expect them to be adults no no but what, we what can't saying, expect adults to be adults when i'm saying emotional i'm not saying it's like completely unhinged or anything i'm saying you're factoring in the kids emotions into the decision where i get that like i 100% do but i'm also factoring in the practicality of this turning into a habit and let's say you buy your kids your your kid not the other kids but your kid mcdonald's let's say 6 dollars for a meal and you do that four times that's what 24 dollars right but let's let's say you um buy all four of these kids meal that's 25 that's 24 dollars for one trip and for the month let's say you're visiting the kids once a week that's 96 dollars so 96 dollars minus 24 i mean it adds up so from the lens of practicality it's like this guy may have other money other obligations um and he can't make this a routine thing cuz like let's say hypothetically harsh this time he comes and he gives the kids all the kids mcdonald's the next time he comes and he's like okay well i did my good deed last week i uh, this time i bought mcdonald's for my kid the other kids are going to be like well what about my mcdonald's the mom is going to be like yeah what about my other three kids now this guy who initially operated with a good intent is stuck in a pickle he's like i already don't make that much money and now i'm over here stuck in this habit that i never signed up for in the first place i understand that i know what you're saying basically you create this expectation okay i have to buy for everyone now which is not fair to the person but he needs a more tactful solution than like just buying for his kid and then watching and then having the other kids watch him eat it they don't got a solution they, like, they, they, they could play their ps2 and their grand theft auto no that's not how <laughs> come on like come on <laughs> <laughs> so he needs a more tactful solution like taking his kid out okay like i'm going to like take this one kid out with me to have some fun and he's going to buy macd or whatever he wants while he's out with me but they're going to so, they're going to pull the same stunt that your cousin pulled on you like okay you no no see that won't happen okay us. see i only come i have no relationship with these other kids i don't talk to them enough or whatever i only talk to my kid so these other kids won't feel this way versus with me those both of those brothers have a relationship with me you know they both know me versus here they only like this guy knows his kid so he can take him out buy him macd or whatever and then bring him back or something you know if that's the thing so Yeah it's a hard situation you know like first they do not have money and being broken off but i can understand when you do the math like you said it's it's like 780 dollars a week and for free two weeks a year that's a lot of money that's like 4000 dollars a year 4000 bucks a year is a lot of money but it is a tactless move and yeah he did kind of create this shitty situation for himself right by sleeping with this woman <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that sex has teeth it isn't just a pleasure thing you might actually impregnate the woman or get pregnant if you're a girl and then you might get stuck forever like th- this isn't a joke mm-hmm. like it's a life changing thing so modern society they take sex to be just like you know watching sports or like turning the tv on you know it's like netflix and chill like nothing matters but yeah. yeah it's not that way it's not that way at all and you end up in situations like these which are not pleasant for anyone especially if you don't have money like you have like it gets worse especially when you're talking about this era with tiktok where some of this like anytime i check out tiktok which i barely check by the way 
that's one of the apps that I could see it's uh, like why people love it so much. And that's one of the reasons I'm scared of it because I don't want to like even risk getting addicted or anything like that. Every now and then I'll check Harsh and I'll see like these different videos of people getting outraged by different things. There was another video uh, that uh, went viral. You may have even saw it on Twitter. That's how viral it went. It was like going cross platforms. But this girl was over here like in the gym and she, there were two guys in the back. And th- these were like, these guys were machines away. I would say three machines away. I'm pretty sure you understand what that means. Like, um, like I don't even know how much feet. I, but, I get to, yeah. But she's over here, you know, t- taking her shirt off. And she's wearing, I guess, like a sports bra or something tight. I, I think I know what you're talking about, where she's accusing them of staring at her. And she's like... W- yeah, like I know oh, what do you need something? About. Do you need something? Like yeah, you video? need something. You need something. That video, yes. What were your thoughts regarding that video? She self-centeredism, or sometimes when you some women are crazy, they want controversy. Like they want something to happen to them. You know, just for like the attention of it. Some what women so, like Yeah, what was so spooky about that video? For those of you guys who didn't watch it, is basically this girl that's like taking her shirt off and like one of the guys who's um, lifting some weights looks at the personal trainer and wiggles his finger towards the girl. The personal trainer quickly turns around, but this girl in the video makes that part slow motion where he's turning around to make it seem like that he's looking for an extended period of time. And even if he is, it's kind of her fault, right? Like I can look wherever I want. Yeah. If you don't want to be looked at, wear a burqa or something, you know, like I'm not saying that you have to wear a burqa, but if you're like dressed very skimpily, then it's a natural reaction for people to look at you and something you should expect. If it's if I, if I was dressed like a clown and people are looking at me, I should expect that. And I mean this with sympathy to women, okay? Firstly, like it, it must be uncomfortable for them too, like to be sad at. But sometimes the dresses that they're wearing is something that you have no option but to set out because it's like too revealing or whatever. You know, you're like a guy. You're biologically wired in a way. So if you want nobody to look at you, if anyone looks at you for one second, that's a crime, then you should wear a burqa or something. Well, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at, where it's like this guy did a quick glance, but she slowed it down and she added the text, oh, damn. Like, that's what he was saying. But his mouth wasn't even moving. So from all this stuff, I'm looking at this girl and I'm like, even girls are disagreeing with you right now because a lot of girls do go through that stuff. And sometimes it could be a serious thing where it's like um, a guy is like harassing her at the gym. But this wasn't one of those situations. She was trying to design content in a certain way uh, to play victim on TikTok. And people went in on her harsh. I I do agree with you where it's like, you know, if you're over here taking off your shirt, not in the bathroom, but in front of the mirror, and someone takes a quick glance, that's not illegal. That's something that you should expect. And there are other videos coming out of her, like, you know, dancing in the gym and, like, these tight pants. And it's like, you could tell what this girl's shtick is. She's looking to be outraged by something, and she's engineering content to make herself look like the victim. I'm like, man, like, TikTok is creating a lot of these sort of situations where people want to you know be in these victim positions so they can go viral yeah it's a lot like you know like me jumping in front of your car 
and then when you stop it me acting like okay you crash into me and then me only showing the part where like i'm like below your car right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah with this trick it was insane like it was it's a sign of the times you know what i mean it's like we are in decadent times but thank god there was a camera like i mean she wasn't expecting that but like imagine if there wasn't a camera and she was just saying like this guy was eyeballing me the entire time see it's like this okay just because someone is a girl or a guy doesn't mean that other people can't have their eyeballs in this direction like it's a rude thing to do but there's nothing wrong with it anyone can stare at you for any amount of time they like it's completely legal and if you don't want to be stared at you have to do something about yourself you can't mm-hmm. impinge on other people's right on having their eyeball in a certain direction they're not like peeping into the women's washroom this is like a gym this is a public space and you can look wherever you want including at someone's breasts or someone's ass for an extended amount of time it might be really rude but it's not illegal what's your viewpoint on and this was another pretty like polarized debate on hitting on girls in the gym do you think it's smart or is best to just avoid it get your workout in and dip hitting on how it depends you know people kind of take these words in different ways but if someone's like wearing headphones or earphones and just training and you're going out and disturbing them then that's annoying but if you're in the cardio machine and you know you're organically talking to someone and then you ask for the number and say we should meet on a saturday that is not like that's okay okay you know what i mean it depends like if if you're like lifting weights okay and you're wearing your headphones and you don't want anyone to talk to you when someone's annoying you all the time or like people are coming and hitting on you that would be really really disturbing but if you are talking to people on like say on like you know there's a like treadmills in a row and you're talking to the person next to you and then you ask them out it's fine okay so it depends you know it really depends mhm that's a good response i will say that it's it's really interesting to me that you know some people like girls especially like they expect not to be stared at where it's like okay fine like anyone can stare at you and it's if people stare at you for an extended period of time there it's it's a rude thing but if everyone's staring at you that means you're doing something wrong mhm or something like very unusual or something that's inviting those stares because you don't live in a world where everyone's a criminal where everyone's like a rapist or whatever and they're like planning some crime on you right if everyone's staring at you you're doing or you're wearing or you are like your appearance is such that it kind of like makes people think what the hell or like it kind of like brings their eyes towards you so mm-hmm. if i was dressed like the joker and i'm like walking around in the mall or the train or something then everyone's going to stare at me because i'm so unusual right so a lot of times the problem when people say like why everyone's staring at me i'm the victim you are the victim yes but you are like a, a victim who decided to be a victim that day mhm where it's like i mean yeah i mean the guys who are staring at you are wrong for staring at you but you are doing something which is making everyone stare at you if it was a one time case of an isolated person staring at you then that guy is wrong but if everyone has to look at you you're doing something that is like making them look at you right I also wonder like this girl that were breaking down in the gym what kind of content do you think she normally consumes 
like i wonder if she watches a a bunch of these tiktok videos of like a a bunch of like the scary things that men do like a bunch of like commentary on how men are not good and she you ever heard of the reticular activating system i have never heard of that no it's like a bunch of neurons in your brainstem that influences perception so it's like uh, let's say uh a single guy uh he is you know going about his day uh just doing the same exact thing going to work coming back but one time uh the single guy gets married has a kid and now he is always going uh, for like baby stuff with his wife nowadays when he's going back to his regular day he keeps noticing baby stuff that was there before but he didn't notice it before because his experiences didn't lead for that so nowadays he goes to work and he sees that there's a babysitting company right next to the company he works for so it's like the reticular activating system um, basically zones in on the information that your experiences deems important. Okay. Hmm. I've noticed this before. You start noticing certain things more if you're into them. Yeah. It's like I like I bought a, a car, a new car in 2021, and I kept seeing that car everywhere afterwards. My neighbor <laughs> had the same exact car. And I was like, when did you have this car? He's like, the year before. I was like, what the heck? You had this car this whole time, but I never noticed it. But now I noticed it because my reticular activating system, I deemed it important. Anyways, the reason I bring that up is because if this girl is just feeding the narrative of how men are so evil, like they're so scary, then you go to these regular situations and you turn it into something that it's not. It's because you reprogrammed your reticular activating system in one of the worst ways possible. So I wonder mm. how how much of a role that played. Could be, could be. Yeah. So you're saying that she watched so much content where, like, you know, guys were staring at women that she notices it all the time, even when it's not happening. Yeah. Mm, makes sense. That's very interesting. It's a theory. Like, I'm not saying, like, like I know this girl for sure, but I, what I'm seeing with a lot of people is when they consume content that makes them feel like a victim, soon i mean <laughs> the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree you start acting like a victim so i mean you, you really gotta be mindful of the content that you're consuming nowadays harsh that's a very plausible theory by the way like that might actually be true like, that's a mm-hmm. good chance yeah it could just be that she's crazy like that's also a possibility because mm-hmm. most healthy women aren't like this right like most healthy even the feminists you could say most feminists aren't insane. Like they aren't like they have their their ideology is like not in line with the world, but most feminists will not like start yelling at you for looking at them for one second. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. It's like and the I, really crazy ones. And I see the opposite thing happening too. Like some guys will just see videos like this and they'll be like, Oh no, I can't uh like flirt with her or no you see all women are bad in this regards. She's a hoe, that's a hoe. and I'm like Bro, you're overthinking this way too much, man. Like, focus right now on the present. You're rewiring your reticular activating system to build trust issues for any relationship that you'll get into in the future. So you got to really be mindful of this sort of stuff. And, you know, sometimes you got to, like, remind yourself when you're getting too obsessed with a certain content creator or content creation style and check yourself because everyone has certain biases and stuff and you don't want to like fall victim 
to these biases. Makes sense, man. Yeah. Um, interesting episode. Uh, has the 30 minutes been up? Uh, am I taking your time? Yeah, I need to get some dinner, man. Okay. No, fun episode. A fun episode. We're going to publish this on time. So last time we kind of like delayed publishing it a lot because I was really sick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the energy in me to produce the podcast and like put it online. But yeah, this time we're going to be there on Sunday or Saturday. And I hope you guys liked it and hit the like button, hit the subscribe button and hit the notification bell because that really helps us out. And also it notifies you when a future video comes out. Have Sounds a great good. day. Have a good day, everyone. And we will catch you on the next episode.